Welcome to Disney Minus, a podcast where we take every Disney movie and also other movies available on Disney Plus and go through them in whatever order we damn well please. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ashley, she, her, and it, it's pronouns, and this was my pick. We are doing The Princess Bride, which is a really good movie. Everyone else introduce themselves, and then I'll continue my intro. <laughs> I'm Steven, they, them, and he, him pronouns, and this episode is only mostly a lost episode. Um, yeah. I'm Jojo, he, him, and it's one of my favorite movies, so I'm happy to be here. Hi, I'm V, with the he, him, and today... I am reading a book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was I, mostly a lost episode. We, I believe it was my audio track that was completely fucked, and before I could fi- contribute my Audacity files to fix it, we lost the whole recording as a result. So we're yeah. doing it again. I still have all my notes, and my notes still include the part where I get really serious and somber at the beginning of the video, and tell you that this was the favorite movie of my grandmother, who sadly passed around ten years ago. Now, God, I was so I was so young when that happened, and it is, as far as I can tell, my mother's favorite movie. Movie, and oh. it is my one of my favorite movies. And if I ever have a kid, who knows? Maybe it'll be their favorite movie too. We can only hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I I don't think I actually mentioned this in the previous recording. Uh, when I was younger, uh, every time I went to school, the the last thing that I said before I left w- was the have fun, have have fun saving the ca- castle in call and response form. Ha- have fun storming this castle. You think it'll work? It'll take a miracle. Goodbye. I used to do that. Uh, my my pa- my parent and my grandparents uh, every time I, went, I left for school, and I still remember that fondly. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, it's a good movie. Also, a uh, fun fact about The Princess Bride, the DVD cover is an ambigram. Uh, you flip it up and it does the same words. Very cleverly designed. Nice. Also, fun fact, all of the movie besides one clip is filmed in Europe. The one clip there's an exception was filmed in, I believe, L.A. Which part is it? I the part where says... As you wish at the very end, because the original <laughs> take they didn't like it, so they refilmed it. They did call him back like a week later. Hey, um, yeah, it's just that one bit where it does the close up of his face. Huh. That's why. I bet. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the one uh, part of this movie that's filmed in the United States. That's- so, uh, you, you ready to actually start? Talking about the movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scene, scene one, let's read a book. Uh, <laughs> my notes say, it's baseball time, baby. Uh, we open yeah. on a uh, on a small boy playing a baseball video game. Uh, yeah. And then the, the song play. I'm pretty sure the song that plays is Take Me Out to the Ball Game, but in chiptune. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, like a... I'm never clear on what MIDI is, so I don't know if it's a MIDI version. I think you would call it a chiptune. Uh, okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Or eight bit. Okay. Was that eight bit? Eight bit, or had they, invent, or had they invented sixteen bit yet? I, um, I don't know. It sounded a lot better than eight bit, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure fighting baseball, fighting baseball was for, was for the NES, right? Yeah. Also, 
fun fact about this scene that I learned between the original recording of this episode and now. Um, on one of the lamps, there's a, like a, just a baseball cap, which is a hat worn, that was worn by the person who did the music. And having that hat in the movie was one of the conditions of them doing music for the Princess Bride. Oh, interesting. You know, I I, th- I think that's cool and makes sense, because, like, outside of the credits, it's something you can point to and say, hi, hey, I did that. It's yeah, recognizable you know, to people who know you. Hmm. And I mean, it makes also, sense I'm that they about, do. Uh, I'm sorry. Also, I'm yeah. wrong about video game history. Uh, fighting baseball, I don't know why I called it fighting baseball. It's only called fighting baseball in Japan. It uh, was an SNES game. Wait, is this the game that Sleeve McDichael is from? The what? What? Oh, hang on. Uh, is that one of the names? I forget all of the, the names. The silly names. The list of silly names. It Wait, is, is the Japanese version of Fighting Baseball. Uh, oh. Programmer created rosters with weird names. I'm pretty sure. Sh- was this the game that he's playing Fighting Baseball? I think it might be, actually. I don't know if we saw it long enough for. Well, I don't know sport games, so not, no way in hell would I have recognized it. But. If it yeah. is Fighting Baseball. It's a it's an SNES game. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna grab the list of names that they made for that game because it's so good for anyone who's not aware of this. Oh. I think in the original recording of this episode, Aurora had pointed out she wasn't in the episode, but she was in the <laughs> Masketeers chat updating us on stuff, which was I think there's a Garfield phone somewhere in this. Scene. Oh, that's right. He can point out there being a Garfield somewhere. Mm-hmm. Because he's everywhere. He cannot be escaped. Yeah. I love these names. Oh my god. They're really yes, good. They're very good. Slev McDyke McDyke? I'm pretty it's sure cool. they're all slightly fucked up names of real sports players like uh Steve McMichaels. Oh yeah. probably. Okay, no S. Just Steve McMichael, uh, former professional football player, coach, politician, sports broadcaster, and pro wrestler. Wow. You may know him as Ming the Merciless. What? <laughs> I assume that's a wrestler thing. That's a hell of a name. Like the the masked wrestlers. Uh, what do you call them again? Um, Luchadors. 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 Yeah. Someone apparently didn't watch Mucho Lucha when they was a kid. I'm gonna say Mucha Lucha. <laughs> I only remember that there was a guy on there called the Fleet. This just in from the Aurora report. This baseball game looks kind of cool. I think it's a greeting card with, yeah, it's a greeting card with Garfield on it in the background of the shot. Okay, he is everywhere. He is all omnipresent. Mm-hmm. I mean, Garf- Garfield is a eldritch being. <laughs> We do not speak of Garfield unless we wish to, wish to invoke him. Have y'all read... I, I know this is a tangent, but have y'all read any of Garfield without Garfield? Garfield minus Garfield? I've read a little bit of Garfield minus Garfield. Yeah, it, it's I think so I've come good. across a little bit of it. Oh, I love it so much. I'm going to have to if look it up like after this time. You probably have some idea about the topic of electronics. You've been up close and personal with it, with lots of consumer electronic devices such as smartphones, tablets, iPods, 
stereo equipment, personal computers, digital cameras, televisions, but to you, they may seem like mysterious magical boxes with buttons that respond to your very desire. That's the end of the bit. We've lost control of the podcast. It's just happening on its own. Mm -hmm. Raul Chamberlain. I've read the book. Oh. I said I was going to read a book. I read a book. Princess Bride the book? Princess Bride the book? Princess Book the Bride? Well, the passage that I just read was from Electronics for Dummies. Oh, (laughs) fair. Great. All right. Cool. Fine. Uh, By the way, the small child that is playing this baseball game is is played by Fred Savage. I don't think... The character exactly. ever gets a name. I have him credited as the small boy. I'm pretty sure that's not what he's credited as in the actual credits. Uh, what yeah, what if he's credited as like the son or the grandson? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he's the main yeah. character for Grindy, not for titular Grindy of the show, but the main character. Oh my god! I think we went off on a whole tangent about the grinder in yeah. the last episode. For oh, an did. hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, for anyone who does not know, The Grinder is a TV show about a a guy who who is like inherit well, is in charge. A guy who a guy who played a lawyer on TV and thinks this qualifies him to be a real lawyer. Well, it's talking about his brother, who is the actual lawyer, who, who is, says, who is Fred Savage. Form. Yeah, from and his brother, who just got done. Filming the last season of the sh- fictional show for Grindy, which was a Law and Order type show, starring in the Grindy. It also features <laughs> Timothy Oliphant as a fictionalized version of himself, who steals <laughs> the guy's role and then starts dating, uh, like an associate at the law firm. Uh-huh. That's that unhinged. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Oh, it gets worse. But yeah, I know this is off on a tangent, but I'm looking back at the names, and if I'm gonna be called anything from now on, I would love for like if my nickname would to become Bobson Dugnut, just because of Mike, the meme. Mike Truck lives rent free in my head. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm trying to figure out who Bobson Dugnut was based on in real life, because I'm pretty sure. Hold on, uh, Mike Truck is probably. Uh, I don't know, maybe Mike Turk? Real I football really, guy? Oh, maybe? I don't know. I have no sort of any knowledge on baseball, so I am not one to be asked who these are based on. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there, okay, so there's a professional baseballer named John Cruck, who is famous. That I don't... They hmm. might have gotten Mike Truck from that. I don't know. Maybe. Todd Gonzalez. God, these are all so good. Okay, this... Anatoly Smorn. I found a, ra- I found a random wi- uh, fandom wiki online, which appears to have the actual uh, the actual versions of all of these Oh, people. hell yeah. Uh, yes. Ronald, Ronald Tugnut for Bobson <laughs> Tugnut? I don't know who that is. Who is that? No, isn't that... Uh, is Canadian former ice hockey goaltender? Sure. 
Modern, N- modern day NHL, NHL, NHL record for most saves in a regular season game when he stopped 70 of 73 shots in a 3-3 tie with the Boston Bruins. God, he was a brick wall. He's a brick. He's a brick. <laughs> Mike Chuck, yeah, Mike Chuck is John is John Cruck. Uh, do, it's weird how the, the first names seem to be completely wrong, but the last names are just one letter off. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Allen Mixon is actually a combination of two people, Otis Nixon and Glenn Allen Hill. Oh, nice. Huh. Wait, is this is this Wait, episode hold- about the Princess Bride or about this one game? It's about whatever okay, the we, we want. Too, we've we've spent we've spent spent too much time on this. Yeah, fair. You know how sometimes in games you'll get all highlighted red, and if you click on it, it'll give you more information. Exactly that. Just, we're just stuck on a side quest right now, guys. Come on. <laughs> That's what happened. Fucking. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, really? none of these guys are my favorite fake baseball player. My favorite fake baseball players are Jackson Buckley, Jessica Telephone, and Peanut Holloway. Beautiful <laughs> works of art. Anyway, uh, the mother is the mother of the child is introduced. They have a talk about how he's sick and how his grandfather is coming to see him. And pinch that cheek. Yeah. See those pictures? Maybe he won't. <laughs> Fucking immediately does. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then she and he he just looks at her. <laughs> uh, and by the way, the grandfather is Columbo. He's played yeah. by Peter Falk. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and the book that he is going to read to him is the Princess Bride novel. Uh, yeah. Book by William Goldman, who went on to write Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and the screenplay of All the President's Men, as well as the novel Marathon Man. Uh, the Ow. book is also prevented as a, uh, like a book that he hit that he hit by a fictional author S. Morgenstern, which he has edited. It's yeah. very interesting. Uh, anyway, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, the premise of the book is wild. Mm-hmm. Like they they kind of I guess sort of give you an abridged version here, but isn't it like? My dad used to read this book to me when I was a kid, and I refound it in my 20s, only to realize he had cut out, like, a bunch of stuff. So now I've made that the official version. Yes. I think that is the premise. Uh, is- I have not rewatched the movie since the last episode was lost, so I'm going purely off of my notes and my knowledge of this movie from having seen it so many times. Yeah, That's- but the major difference is that he... He is the main character reading the story in the book. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. it's also very cy- like cynical because throughout the whole thing, it's like you hear, have like office notes, and it's basically, basically, he's in a horrible marriage. He hates <laughs> his kid. What? He wants what? a divorce, but he feels trapped. That's, that's so much. Oh my God. Also, the ending of the book is that, it, well, I'll save the ending of the book for the end of this, well, the end of the review section when we get to the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> I will say, if this, had, if this movie had come out now, there would be so many fucking fan theories trying to see how dark they can get on the explanation of why the grandpa specifically says he read it to the kid's dad, but we never see the kid's dad. Huh. Oh, God, yeah. You just know so many, like, everyone would be coming up with all kinds of ways that, like, 
he abandoned the family or he's dead or any of, I mean, uh, no, you're not thinking fan theory enough. Obviously, the dad is in a coma and this is a coma dream. Duh. That fucking damn it. Why is it always, <laughs> with the, it was all a dream theory. I hate it. Hate it so much. Mm-hmm. What's the point of it all being a dream? There is no point. I hate the, it, it was all a dream. And then a close second are the ones where it's like, everybody's dead and this is the afterlife. Fuck you. That's not what Ed, Ed and Eddie is about. There Thank have been you. good. There Jesus have been Christ, good. Somebody said it. There have been good stories where everyone was dead and it was the afterlife. There have not been any good stories where uh, it was a dream the whole time. That is true. Psychologic. Granted, that is more just in general. Hey, this game is just a made-up story that Reva developers made. Okay, Hi, did you say psychologic? Because I thought you said pathologic. It's like the. the. The Russian game where you walk around as a doctor. That's pathologic. Yes, pathologic. I don't think I know this one. Okay, uh, the whole the point of pathologic is that it's a video. Like the big twist in pathologic is that it's a video. Is that you're playing a video game? It's a video game that you're playing. It's not real. Yeah. Well, the first twist is that it's all a game played by two children. Then the second twist is no, it's not. This is just a game made by developers. Yes. That's- Asking too many questions. You know what, y'all? Actually, speaking about games, I didn't know how I was going to introduce this into the conversation, but this gives me at least a flimsy excuse. You know, there's a mobile game of The Princess Bride. No, and now I wish you'd never told me that. It's incredible. I stumbled across it because I was like, there should be a Princess Bride anime. Uh, where are the screenshots? Hang on. I am finding this game and playing it. It's like $4. Oh, okay. I'll be able to afford it now. <laughs> Climb and bash deadly eels. Climb and save clips. Epic sword battles? I don't... Unlock over 30 movie images and sound clips. Play five games based on your freedom. You no know it could be worse. The art is actually pretty good. Those are some decent likenesses. Yeah, fair. It's actually really good. Bad. I don't I don't know that this looks good enough that I would spend four dollars on it, but it does look like it's not absolutely terrible. You know, I hope the way you unlock the movie parts is by gotcha game mechanics. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If it makes y'all feel better, I will play it, record it, send it to the uh Discord for everyone to see. You know what? I'm fine with that. If you want to do that, I, I will sacrifice. I'll make the sacrifice. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that spend four dollars frivolously? <laughs> Random fun one. fact: Did you know that there's a less miserable fighting game? Yes, I'm aware. It's fucking. I have bills to pay. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's free. Oh, well, there oh, you go. I think so. <laughs> but you have well, it's hurting. I ain't got my paycheck yet. I'm Joe's a free 2D one on one fighting doujin game based on the Les Miserables musical. Oh, wait, the only the most miserable adaption that brings plot important characters such as Robo John and <laughs> Judgment. Okay, I have not ever watched Les Mis. Pun Pun and Judgment did not appear in the source material. What do you mean? They're major characters. 
when Takasa was asked why he spent five years working on this game, he jokingly answered, because I have no friends. At you least know he what? was honest? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm learning so many wonderful things tonight. The policeman oh, who works show. under Javert has the moveset of Akuma from the Street Fighter se- series. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting oh, information I never knew I needed. I feel so complete right now. That's so many amazing things. That's so funny. Yeah. God, this is this episode is just going to be 100 percent getting distracted. It's Absolutely. Super uh. Wow. This does we haven't like- even finished the first scene. There's like 30 nope. scenes. We haven't even made it into the book yet. Yeah. Right, yeah, the the kid is like, us. Oh, this is a kissing book, I fucking hate kissing books. Uh, and the grandfather is like, no, I'm going to list, you like sports, right? I'm going to list some sports. Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Only two of those things are sports. My favorite sport, Maybe. giants. <laughs> Torture. Oh, what man. a wonderful Now you're just making me think about New York baseball, and I don't know New York, uh, not New York baseball, New York football, and I don't want to think about New York football. No, yeah, I realized that after I said it. God, the poor, the poor. There are three baseball. There are three football teams in New York. You think they could put together one good one between them? Jesus Christ, that's a Same. lie. I mean, it could be worse. You could be an Eagles fan. My- Ooh. Just shots fired. Okay. <laughs> Anyone listening who's an Eagles fan is gonna revolt. Oh, I live in uh, I live in Greater Philly. I know your pain. That's... <laughs> but I mean, they're not the Mets. Which is... Let's go Mets, baby. Love the Mets. <laughs> yeah. well, at least oh. y'all have a professional team. I live in Arkansas. We have a college team that people are unhealthily obsessed with. Hell yeah! Damn. We sure, we sure do, is the thing. Okay. At times. Okay, all of the things that he lists do actually appear in the movie. Uh, at one point, I was thinking of actually just pointing them out when they happen, but I might give up on that immediately. Anyway, you after know, he lists those, he starts actually reading the book. Yes. <laughs> we are now finally in the book. Hearing Scene two, about- the Princess Bride. Uh, we have Robin Wright as Princess Buttercup and Carrie, Carrie Elwes as Wesley. Yes, uh, great actor. Uh, she is a, a noble woman, I think, that lives on a farm. I don't think for some reason. I think Buttercup- she's a commoner. I right, thought she was yeah. just an extra pretty she commoner. Is commoner. She's, she is just a pretty commoner. Cause, like, yeah. That is made a point of later. And I think she's like a, a wealthy... I think she's like a yeoman or something. Yeah, like, she's upper class, but she's not like, nobility. Owns the farm. Yes, she is. Uh, she is an upper class commoner, which would make her, I, I believe, a yeoman by mm-hmm. medieval standards. A commoner who owns the land that they live on. Yeah, I don't know. I think you might be right. Maybe I really have to look into that, and I lost I a lot of the books I had on that. Uh, I learned that from a My Little Pony fan fiction. <laughs> nice. That no, that's actually unironically really good. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, and she is 
she spends the first bit of the movie not so subtly flirting with uh, the farm boy Wesley. Uh, yeah, she uh, uh, she starts out ordering him like to do stuff for her, and then immediate, almost immediately, like the the second time on, it's just increasingly obvious for us. Like she asks him to fetch a pitcher so that she she can like look him in the eyes and stand close to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I note that his fit in the pitcher scene is great, and every time she asks him to do something, he says, "As you wish," and the narrator I- notes that. Uh, whenever he said "as you wish," he really what he really meant was "I love you." God, which, I, which, when he uh, says "I love you," he means if you want. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> that video the is subtext. fucking disgusting. Yes, uh, the video <laughs> that I was that I was going to mention later, but I might as well now. It's the Princess Book by The Things One, Ellie Spectacular, yeah. one of my favorite internet minor, very minor personalities. God, it's so fucking good. Ellie's so cool. Uh, yes, uh, and and then uh, they 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 like stand on a hill, backed by like the setting sun, and then they go in for a kiss, and then uh, we get immediately brought out of it by the young boy complaining about how this is a kissing book. Scene three, a kissing book. Very funny that this happens so early on, and he goes, "I don't believe this." Great. Uh, I don't believe in kissing. Is this a book? Uh, They uh, they introduce true love as a theme, and usually in like books and movies like this, where it's one one part of the relationship believes in true love, and the other one is kind of like has to be brought around to it. Usually, it's the woman who believes in true love from the start, but no. Uh, Buttercup is kind of ambivalent about the power of true love. Wesley is ride or die for it. Mm-hmm. Hell, true love is he, he. He's like true love is so real. Wesley no is smart enough to know how to read, and his family unfortunately owns one book, and it's a love story. And he has decided <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> this is the setup for true love as a theme, and. Also no, set up for Wesley's characters then on because they have a conversation about he's he's going off to on a boat to uh, I think like find his fortune or something. Uh, before yeah. Claire, continue, to jump on Steven's idea, Uh-oh. I think it was actually they only could afford one fan translated manga, and ah! instead of the power of, of friendship is the power of love. Yeah, there we go. Of course. <laughs> oh God, I know what his favorite Huey Lewis song is. It might just change your life. That's the power of love. Yeah! Up to your choice. <laughs> Peter Steven, remember to make that part of the music in this episode. Wait, you, 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 you <laughs> have a Hugh Lewis song. How could you forget about the news? Wait, it's Hugh Lewis oh, in the oh, news. Oh, no, yeah, I know. It was just shorter. Yeah, fair enough. Leslie's uh, favorite video <laughs> game is Kingdom Hearts, because hearts are love. Yeah. Hearts are... Oh, God. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts is light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. Don't show them Twilight. You can pick it up very easily. It doesn't weigh very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it has fewer calories. Uh, anyway, uh, Wesley <laughs> goes off to seek his fortune, and uh, Buttercup's but like, but, but what if you die? And he's like, I won't die. I have true love. Oh. Consider it. Uh, 
Uh, and then his his ship is attacked by the Dread Pirate Roberts, who never takes any prisoners. And yeah, so the kid is, dies. And the kid is like, murdered by pirates is good. No! I forgot he did that, and it fucked me yeah, up. Yeah, and I also wrote down, him being immediately fridged is so funny. Because he is! This is mm-hmm. a male character being killed off for a female ca- for a, this is a male love interest being killed off for a female character's character development. This is fridging, but like yeah. gender swapped. Yeah. Like I can count the number of times I've seen that on one finger, and it's this. Yeah. Anyway, uh, five years later, uh, two <laughs> evil Chris's appear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Sarandon is uh, Prince Humberdink, and Christopher Guest is Count Rugen. Yeah. Always Chris. Also, I can count one other media that has done a reverse bridging. Which the other is the version of the Condor Heroes, and it's done for a villain. What? Interesting. Because they introduce this couple who is like training, like using this ancient like manual to do, like, a martial arts where they're able to basically make their fingers into claws and stab them into people's heads, which is a... And the couple is a husband and wife, and they end up fighting the mentors of the main character when the main character is, like, six. Which, this couple... This villain couple's whole gimmick is that they are... They act like your typical boomer, I hate my wife couple, except that's just their love language, is them just saying horrible insults at each other. <laughs> like the type of friends who both like talk, who'd like talk shit about each other mm-hmm. constantly, except yeah. uh, like a romantic relationship instead of a platonic one. Yeah. Anyway, the well, husband is killed in the fight because well, apparently his like, like even Master Marshall is while they can make their bodies like apparently super like strong and be able to endure like weapons and stuff, you have to pick like one spot where you can't do that. And this guy picked his stomach, so That's, the main character yeah, as a kid is. like pulled a knife and stabbed him in the stomach in self defense. That's maybe not the best choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially considering his wife chose for up like the roof of her mouth. Which seems like a much better place. Yeah. Right, yeah. Much harder to get. Either the roof of her mouth or under her tongue. I can't remember which. But, like, the point is. Yeah. But anyway, if the husband dies, and, like, for. Even though they're saying, like, insults at each other as he's dying, is, like, honestly very sad because you can still, like, even in text space, or in my case, audiobook, you can still. The genuine love that these two characters have for each other. Aww. And it's like, like, I think the husband's last rose is like something along the lines of like, it looks like I will not be able to look after you, you wretched old hag. <laughs> Damn. And it's like, and Cyclone May is like, just going like, don't leave me, dear bastard. <laughs> no, you dumbass. You can't die. <laughs> and also, she's blinded during the fight, so she's not even able to see him. He's oh. 
she's just holding him in his in her arms as he's dying. It's really sad. Oh. But anyway, she she's able to escape and goes off and has like an anime like basically have a anime training arc off screen for multiple nice. years. She deserves it. And she becomes a recurring villain. Each time Good. becoming stronger. Good. I love it. She deserves it. Yes. She's a good character, and I don't know. She's they basically completed her character arc, and she's basically living. Unless she pops up again, she seems to have be going to be living happy with her martial brother, who's forgiven her for stealing the manual that her and her husband took from their sensei. We are on scene four. Yes. <laughs> anyway, tangent over. There are 28 scenes. We are on scene four. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yes. Uh, two evil two evil Chris's. Chris Ryan and his Prince Humperdinck and Christopher Guest's mm-hmm. Count Rugen. The one YouTube poop where the, he says, Among Us, here. That's the princess book oh. by the things. My people, Among Us, sus. sus. <laughs> uh, Count Rugen appears. His hands are not visible. This becomes relevant later. Uh, we get some background about Florin. This is like the 500th year of Florin being a country. That's mm-hmm. a long time. There will be more thoughts about the time period later in my notes. Yeah, uh, Humperdinck is such a Baltic. smug motherfucker. Uh, he's announcing that he's going to marry uh, Buttercup, whose boyfriend is presumed dead. Yeah. And she's like, man, I don't want to marry him, but she doesn't actually get to say it. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, the, the narrator's like, though she had to marry Humperdinck, she did not love him. Scene five, no one around to hear you scream. Wallace Shawn is Vizini, Andre Rusimov as Fezzik, and Mandy Patinkin is Inigo Montoya, that is a uh, Jewish man playing a Spanish man. Uh, Mandy Patinkin is not Spanish in any way. He's from, like, mm-hmm. Chicago. Uh, the reason he got this role is because he won an award for his portrayal of Che Guevara on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Indigo is also the devil in Touched by an Angel. Mandy Patinkin? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Hans. Uh, all the locations in this movie are very funny. At some point, I did write down the names of the locations mm-hmm. of where this is filmed, but also maybe like the in. Maybe I was talking about the in-world version of this in the notes. Anyway, she rides her Hans into the woods. Uh, to get away from Humperdinck for a little bit. It's the one thing that she still enjoys. Uh, uh, these three guys rock up and say that they're poor lost circus performer performers, which mm-hmm. Lamau. Uh, and they ask, "Where's like, where's the nearest town?" And then she's like, "Oh, there's nothing around for miles." And then the short guy who's in charge so suddenly goes all evil and is like, "Then there will be no one around to hear you stream." And the big guy, like, I don't know, like, coshes her, and then they tie, they, like, get her into the boat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And Buttercup horses just stand, because horses don't exist. Uh, yeah, horses don't exist. Goodbye, horses. They don't exist at all. No more all horses. Right. My, my ideology can't account for you having to exist, having to be real so you don't exist now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butterscup just stands there as Fezzik walks up and gently renders her unconscious. Uh, my next note is I think horse tampering is illegal. Right, yeah, what they do is uh, oh, they oh. put a little like patch 
of claw of claw of clothing on on the horse, and then they like spook the horse to get it to run back mm-hmm. to the stables as part of their frame up job. Yeah, because they're they're framing yeah. uh, Gilder for doing this so that they can start a war between Florin and Gilder. Yeah, they essentially put a big sign on the horse that says, "I'm from Gilder." Well, well, no, they they know where the horse is from. They put a little, a big like a piece of fabric on here that says, "This is a Gilder soldier. This is a Gilder soldier's uniform." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. She she, uh, she <laughs> has been the, the princess has been kidnapped by soldiers of Gilder. Is what they're trying to set up. Yeah, uh, I think horse tampering is legal. I'm pretty sure that there was a James Bond movie about horse tampering. Probably yeah, a view, to a, ki- a view yeah. to a kill. The like introduction plot is about horse steroids. Huh. Ah. Yeah. All right. There's like a whole plot with horse steroids to like cheat at horse racing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So Gilder is across the sea. Are we Britain? I, I was doing some musing on what countries Gilder and Florida were supposed to represent. Uh, I think both of them are filmed in the UK. But like. Actually, wait. I think the UK technically might be more than one piece. The UK. The UK is t- is uh, one and a bit islands, and also yeah. technically a whole bunch of. Are the Crown dependencies part of the UK? I have no idea. I don't know how any of that works. I know there's at least one island that's near the UK that's not a part of the UK. And it's just its own thing. The Isle of Man? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we could talk about that. We could be talking about Ireland. The we Crown Dependencies also- are not part of the United Kingdom, nor are they British Overseas Territory. They're, they have the status of territories for which the United Kingdom is responsible rather than sovereign states. Sure. Uh, this includes the Bailiwick of Guernsey, the Bailiwick of Jersey, and the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just remember there was like a news article about a guy trying to jet ski to one of them to <laughs> get escape from law or something. They do still have law there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crucially, they do probably have cops. Yeah. Yeah. They are independent from the UK and from each other, and their relationship is with the crown. Uh-huh. Presumably the crown of like Great Britain? Probably. The crown is defined differently in each crown dependency because nothing can ever be simple. Mm-hmm. Fucking, oh my god. Why, why, you know what, to quote the princess book, why you do this? Yeah, that that is a quote from the princess book. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Gilder Geography Notes has a frontier which where, mu- where much of the movie takes place. Uh, good villain banter from Vizzini, him like talking to Inigo and Fezzik about how they're going to fake out this, and how neither of them really want to. Uh, yeah. yeah. He has a chat about how Inigo, uh, uh, friendless, hopeless, mm. ha- friendless, helpless, hopeless, uh, I think is the, is the line. Unemployed in Greenland. And of course, yeah, Fezzet. Uh, yeah, yeah, and of course, Fezzik was unemployed in Greenland, and because then what? the music. Yeah. Then the music starts, and Inigo and Fezzik just start rhyming at each other in order to make 
uh, Vizzini mad. Actually, it's mostly just Inigo setting him up and Fezzik doing the rhymes, which is good. Mm-hmm. I like. I really like Fezzik in this movie. Yeah. Good boy. Fezzik is a charm. But yeah, the main takeaway is that Indigo doesn't like doing all this criminal mind stuff. Yeah. Wait a minute. That took me a sec. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, scene six. Scene six. Somebody following us. We are introduced yeah. to Vizzini's catchphrase, which is inconceivable. Yeah. Inconceivable count. One. Yeah, right. Ding. I love how throughout all of this, he also keeps threatening to fire Inigo and Fezzik as if he's going to find another giant in the Spaniard at this hour. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Buttercup gets... Buttercup gets. Uh, I forget what the original Inconceivable about, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was about it was about Inigo like, checking behind them to see if they were being followed. And then Vizzini's like, it's absolutely inconceivable that we could be followed. Uh, Buttercup gets some lines here. She's like... Uh, when the king ca- when Huffman catches you, and he will, and you'll you'll all be hanged for treason. And uh, Vizzini has a sweet comeback along the lines of the neck that you should be worrying about, princess, is your own. Ah, uh, there are a lot of good lines in this movie. Holy shit! Uh, and then Inigo continues to be looking behind them, and he's like, "Are you sure nobody's following us? Nobody could be following yeah. us." And then. Vizzini is like, I told you, that would be absolutely, completely inconceivable. And then there's right. a beat. Uh, yeah, he's like, no uh, no one in foreign could have gotten, could possibly have gotten so, here so fast, and no one in Gilder knows, knows we're here. And then there's a beat, and he's like, out of curiosity, why do you ask? <laughs> uh, uh, and then and he goes like, I was, I just, I, I, well, I look behind us and I see that there is a boat there. Uh, and Vizzini's like, probably some local fisherman out for a pre- pleasure cruise at night through eel-infested waters. Definitely. That makes yeah. sense. Note that they mention that the waters are eel-infested before this becomes relevant. <laughs> uh, yeah. while, ever, while the two of them are distracted looking at them being pursued, uh, Buttercup jumps forward into the waters, and then uh, they... Frant- they frantically sail after her with Vizzini ordering the other two around. I could have sworn Vizzini says something along the lines of, no, your other left in this, but he doesn't. He, he just yells, he just mostly just yells directions directly. Uh, but he does tell Indigo to jump into the waters. Indigo just goes, <laughs> I can't swim. And Fezzik says, I only doggy paddle. I only dog paddle. <laughs> he does. And he does a little thing with his hands. Mm-hmm. God, Andre is so good in this movie. So good. Uh, so, face- did you know that while well, this version of Phoenix was written for Andre, Arnold Meyer was almost was Phoenix. Oh, they almost they almost gave it to uh, uh, to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Damn. Yep. That because at the lot. time when they was like playing this out, Andre was like the hard to get. But by the time they started filming, yeah, because he was a big deal. Yeah, but yeah, by the time that they was about to start, like actually doing casting calls, was a little unknown movie called The Terminator came out. Right, and that completely wrecks their ability to get Arnold cheaper. Makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know what? I'm fine with that because yeah. 
was a good job. This is super yeah. good. Job. And this this movie came out uh uh right when uh, Andre Rusimov, professional wrestler Andre the Giant, had agreed to turn heel wrestling thing uh, in order to counter the biggest face in professional wrestling at that time, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was he was like feuding with Hulk Hogan uh, while the movie was being filmed. God, that's fun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He agreed to lose the feud mostly for health reasons because at the time... His health was just starting to turn for the worse. Yeah. yeah. There's a certain fun fact for the future fight scene that I'll bring up later. But anyway, the buttercup's in the water. She's swimming. Because it's like, hey, do you hear that? That's the shrieking eels. Mm-hmm. Genuinely creepy eel screaming sound effect. His face when he says the shrieking eels is really something. And I do like the sound effect that they get for the eels because it does sound like an actual animal, but also like a realistic animal that sound that would be like, yeah, you can see how sailors might be like, hmm, that's a siren. Yeah, But also, like, it makes perfect sense that they call it a shrieking eel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's and Fez, and uh, Fezzik is like princess. I pr- uh, if you swim back to the boat right now, I uh, and this is a quote. I promise, no harm will come to you. You literally just threatened to kill her like two minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then oh. the follow up is a good line though, because it's I doubt you'll get such an offer from the eels. You know what? Totally not a threat. <laughs> yeah, of course it's a veiled threat. That's why it's good. Yeah, yep. gotta love. Uh, the eel visual effects is also surprisingly good for a movie too old to be using CGI for a water scene. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, when done right, practical effects are really good. I, yeah, I, I the, eel char- the eel charges her and it gets real close and it screams real loud. And then uh, Peter Falk says, she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, you, it pulls you right out of the movie. Like yeah. it, it was beginning to get genuinely spooky, and this is this is good bathos because it cuts the tension, mm-hmm. with, and in, in a way that still makes sense in the world. Because yeah, this is a book being mm-hmm. read to a small child, and he's like, oh, you, "You looked a little scared there." And I just wanted to let you know she doesn't she doesn't get eaten by the eels. The eels don't get her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then like, he's like, "I wasn't scared. I was concerned." <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, hey, go ahead. And tell me what happens, so I know that they're going to be okay. Not for any real reason, though. Yeah, and then he ac- he accidentally reads too far back when he's finding his place again, and the kid's like, "Grandpa, you already read that part." And he's like, "Oh yeah." Uh, and then, and I say him reading the wrong part is also very good. And then the the charges and screams, and then Fezzik bonks it on the head comically, and yeah. they get he pulls Buttercup back into the boat, and they. Set back a sail for scene eight, the cliffs of insanity. Fucking good name. Yeah. Real life geography note: the cliffs here portrayed by the cliffs of Moher. Yeah, neat. In the wide shots, uh, the close-up yeah. shots are, I'm pretty sure, a set. I mean, yeah, probably. Now this uh, is ge- how Chris looks. Uh, geography note: the, ne- the nearest harbor is hours away. This will be relevant later. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they mentioned that the guy following them, since he can't go up their way, he'll have to sail around for hours to find a port. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some good suspenseful music, and it's revealed that their way is uh, fe- is uh, everyone else grabs onto Fezzik, and, and he, works- he pulls the them up the cliff. Uh, I love the little harness they have him wear that like everybody can, everyone can sit on it. Yeah, this seems good. Uh, yeah. So they cl- they cl- they climb up the uh so suspenseful music. The man in black uh is briefly visible in an early shot while they're climbing. Uh, yeah. Vizini looks down. Da- uh, Vizini looks down and sees that they're being fo- that they're still being followed, and he's like inconceivable. And uh, Vizini has a line here that I only wrote down like the final bit too. Uh, it's he's talking. He's berating Fezzik for not being fast enough, and he's like, "You were supposed to be this great colossus." And then he he describes uh, the ways in which he was supposed to be like larger than life and enormous, and he ends yeah. with, "And yet he gains." Good line, like yeah. not good line in the sense that like it's a great one liner, like a lot of the other lines. It's just well written for like what what this is supposed to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's I also. I, is... I, I do think that it's well set up. It's it's good. It's good, like minor setup and payoff. Because like, yeah, he, he gets this whole thing, and then he has a cool punchline. Yeah, there. Yeah, I think this is also the part where when Vasini says "inconceivable" here, this is when India says, "You say that a lot. I don't think it means what you <laughs> think it means." Nope. Nope. No, no, no. A little bit after. Yeah. Uh, they, they get to the cut. They get to the top. Vizini starts frantically cu- cutting the rope with his boot knife, and <laughs> he gets he gets the rope. They look down, and the man in black is clinging to the rocks of the cliff. We get in- mm-hmm. inconceivable number four, and then ego goes. You keep saying that. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah, very yeah. good. These guys are just a rogue, a fighter, and a barbarian, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, good party setup, honestly. Uh, well, speaking of speaking of one thing that I mentioned eagles. before, uh, there is a there is a blog post that I saw earlier uh, that I saw a while ago, written in I believe the heyday of four, of fourth edition. Uh, the main six from My Little Pony are a perfectly balanced party. That's really good. <laughs> uh, they have a wizard, a rogue, a ranger, a druid. A bard and I for and a barbarian. God, that is really good. Yeah, and I think I can't argue that. I think in, if we're going by five Dungeons and Dragons five E, I think this party set would be rogue mastermind, rogue swashbuckler, and maybe monk drunken fist. That makes like the drunken fist yeah. one is for a well the crowd control one. Crowd control is pretty good. I think he would be. I think he would be like some sort of fighter archetype. Yeah. Personality so. wise, I would say fighter, but I think mechanic wise, he would be drunken fish. This I just mean, it to be more just basic fighter. Yeah, that's fair. Or wrestler. Uh, uh, and then. Inigo volunteers to stay behind. Inigo gets volunteered just by Fez- <laughs> by uh, Vizini to stay behind to uh, be to get 
the man in black with his sword. And then he's like, I'm going to use my left. If I fight him with my right, it'll be over too quickly. Uh, and then Vizini mostly just scoffs at him. And Fezzik is like, be careful. Man, people in masks can't be tr- cannot be trusted. And I wrote, what's the deal with Fezzik's people in masks line? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's... Yeah. Yeah. People would have not would not have done well during COVID. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah, Fezzik hate superheroes. Uh, ah. True. Uh, anyway, uh, Inigo just starts bantering with the man in black. They have a mm-hmm. nice. They have a nice chat. Yeah. Uh, at first, the man in black is like, "Please stop distracting me. I'm trying to climb this cliff." And then Inigo's like, "I could throw you the rope so you could get up here faster." And then, and then he's like, "Well, how do I know I can trust you? Because you could just cut the rope while I'm halfway up." And Inigo goes, "That is true." And then we wait for a second. He's like, "I can swear on my honor as a Spaniard." And the man in black goes, and this is a direct quote: "No good. I've known too many Spaniards." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wrote in my notes: the banter is good, but also Inigo sounds really Italian. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. exactly what line that was about, but like, well, don't you know, Spain is just second Italy. It's true. They call it. Yeah, and then and then after the, the after the Spaniard part, he goes, uh, "I swear on my soul, the soul of my father, Domingo Montoya, you, that you will reach the top alive." And the man in black immediately, no hesitation, goes, "Throw me the rope." Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's Wait, so good. <laughs> Like yeah. the man, of, the man of black immediately trusts him uh, when he swears on his father. Yeah, like uh, you can he doesn't even need to like say anything. Like, oh wow, I can tell you're serious. Like it's it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's good dialogue, and also I love that this movie acknowledges that the henchman waiting around for the hero to come up to where he's supposed to get killed would realistically get bored as fuck during that time. Yeah. <laughs> Because Inigo waited around for like 30 seconds before going, this sucks. Let's see if I can get him up here quicker. Yeah. And then uh, and then uh, the Man of Black reaches the top and he, he, he tries to draw and like and he goes like, no, no, we wait until you're ready. And he's like, that's very kind of you. And this is just a good scene of two guys who are both Batman having a chat about Inigo's motivation. Yeah. <laughs> I made I made this joke. It's this is direct from my notes. I made this joke last time. They are both Batman. Uh, specifically, the Man in Black has major Zorro vibes. Which again, and like loosely based on Zorro. So yeah, these guys are both Batman. I don't think I can print into detail with this, but I remember in the lost recording, I mentioned something from a YouTube video that's like he. The difference between a lot of movies today and some older movies is that a lot of modern movies, especially with the MCU now, just don't have like the sincerity that so like oh uh, yeah fucking Princess Bride has yeah, yeah like in mo- sincerity is dead in modern movies everything has to be bathos yeah granted the video the got the person doing the video made it seem like that. Comedy was the opposite of sincerity, which I find that completely untrue. But this person was also saying that Batman vs. Superman was a very sincere movie, which is like, hmm. I agree to disagree, though. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, this, this brings to mind uh, the artistic movement and philosophical movement, New Sincerity, which was mm-hmm. basically a backlash against postmodern, ir- postmodern irony and cynicism about how, uh, why don't we just be honest and like do things for real again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia lists some cinematic examples of New Sincerity as The Lord of the Rings, Forrest Gump, Titanic, Star Wars Episode One, uh, Avatar The Way of Water? What? I yeah. have Eternal Sh- I Eternal Sunset of the- I mean I've seen sure, the first Avatar movie, but I haven't seen the second one. Uh, I, Which the I, first movie was the film doesn't have to be good to be new sincere. You know what uh, another example of new sincerity is the Brody fandom, who is just a, bu- a bunch of like ad- adult and primarily and primarily men who just like My Little Pony Friendship is Magic for what it is. You know what? Fair. Mm, yeah. they, they tried to do it ironically, and then they realized that they actually just liked it normally. Mm-hmm. That's new sincerity, baby. I mean, that's and... part of the reason why Kingdom Hearts is popular, because as much as we can joke about them saying darkness a whole bunch of time and hearts, it's, they do put sincerity in whatever yeah. they're talking about in those yeah. games. They, they fully believe in what they're saying, and that's what new sincerity is all about. Mm-hmm. And like as uh, much as in English, there are a lot of bad line deliveries. Again, though, you can tell that like they get to the emotional and stuff. And it, yeah. And uh, hot, t- hot take, actually. Uh, Homestuck perfectly straddles the line between new sincerity and full irony. Ooh, because it pokes fun at itself constantly, but also it does on a deep level believe in itself and like the story that it's putting together. Because mm-hmm. it, ne- it never deliberately undercuts the actual content of itself. The closest it gets is deliberately undercutting the reader's perception of what it is, which is not always what it actually is. Yeah. I think to give like a shorter media form that's probably a good example of like balancing the two is the original Guardians of the Galaxy movie and yeah. arguably the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I have not seen the third one, so I'm not including it. Yeah, I keep forgetting to watch it. It's not bad. But you yeah. would like it. But even though but yeah. those movies are very much like Oh yeah, we'll be snarky and make fun of ourselves. It's very much like point. The movie also points out that hey, these are people with a bunch of traumas, and they're just using self-deprecating comedy as a coping mechanism for their trauma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of bad, sincere movies get panned in that they take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. A lot of b- bad, insincere movies. I get panned in that they don't take themselves seriously enough. Yeah. And and that's that's the thing. So, like this movie takes itself very seriously. Not too seriously, not so seriously that it can't have the asides with the small boy. But like yeah. it doesn't undercut itself without like a good reason. And it doesn't yeah. it doesn't undercut like the actual like it undercuts the tension of the eel scene, but like the story is still perfectly intact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like this 
very funny parts in this movie, but they are written sincerely, and I think that helps with helps the comedy be good. Because yeah, yeah, because it's and people like lot, having like sincere the, moments. A lot of the comedy is characters doing bits with each other. Yeah, which like is a lot of in like real life. What happens with people just hanging out? Mm-hmm. Like, small talk kind of just ends up becoming bits, depending on your personality. Yeah. Also, like, they're basically uh, making in-jokes of each, each other. Yeah. Which is just something that people do. Yeah. Also, I want to point out the Wikipedia page for New Sincerity lists Hook as one of its, like, first examples. And, oh my god, if that's not the truest thing I've read in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry for going on this side tangent. There. <laughs> anyway, uh, Domingo Montoya's story still gets me. I said I said it in my notes, and I believe it. Because the story mm-hmm. of Domingo Montoya is uh, a man with six fingers on his right hand asked him to make a great masterwork sword. Oh, asked his father to make a great asked, sword. Yeah, Dom- Domingo Montoya, Inigo's father. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the man asked Domingo to make him a great sword. He uh, He worked on it for... A very long time. There's a very poetic way of mentioning how long he worked on it for, but I do not remember. And he made he made a great sword, and the man of black yeah. returns, but at a tenth of his promised price. Uh, but and demanded the sword at a tenth of his promised price. Domingo refused, and the man in black stabbed him through the heart and slew him. Yeah, and any yeah. tried to fight him then, but the six-fingered he, man. He, yeah, he lost badly, but he left him with two scars on the sides of his face. Yeah. Scar, that scar is an, is an obvious prosthetic, but it's also it's a dueling scar, which are also always cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, Inigo says to the man in black that uh, he has been searching for the six-fingered man for all of his life. And he, when, he, when he finds him, he is going to say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. First off, it's such a good line, but like Mandy Patinkin's delivery here is just so fucking good. Like, you, he really sells that this is a thing this guy has been like dwelling on and planning out for the last how long did he say? Like, I believe it was twenty three years. That's right. Uh, I wrote down that Inigo was thirty one, and I know that he was a small boy when he challenged the six fingered man to a duel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that track. So it was at least twenty years. Thirty-one. I think it might have actually 20. been twenty years. Damn! If it was twenty-three, he would have been eight. I think that's, it was twenty years. That's me. That's like a year from now. Me getting murdered and my son Grayson picking up a sword and trying to fight the guy. Holy shit! Yeah, I, th- I think he was uh, ten or eleven, actually. Yeah, it would have been twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Three years younger than me. Uh, and then. And Ego admits that mostly he's been, he's just been doing mercenary work to pay the bills. There's not a lot of money in revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, and then and then, uh, Man in Black's like, "All right, you've given me more than enough time. Let's duel." They both they're both doing they uh, they both get their swords. Uh, and Ego's uh, Man in Black says. Uh, Inigo says, you seem a decent fellow, I hate to kill you. The Man in Black says, you seem a decent fellow, I hate to die. And a legitimately great sword fighting scene begins. It's intentionally over the top and unrealistic for effect, but but that really works for this story. 
Because it's yeah, over the fact, top. Uh, and they're also just, both Go on. No, sorry. Yeah, I love, like, because it, it's hard to, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not actually hard. It's just that a lot of movies suck at it. But, like, it's hard to write, like, good dialogue to have during a fight. But that's exactly what happens here. It's like, these two are both pointing out, like, oh, my God, you are, like, haha, I'm going to use this technique. Well, that, in that case, you would expect me to do this, but I'm actually going to, like, they just, it's still the same kind of, like, bantering, but, like, now yeah. just both two of them flexing. Yeah, the first, yeah, the first half of the, half, half, no. the first, like, part of the fight, they're bantering about, like, the various fencing forms that they're doing at each other. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. Uh, note that they're also, that they're both dueling left-handed, and we know from earlier that Inigo is not left-handed. Uh, they're, they're doing it left-handed. He's doing it left-handed so, the, so that the duel won't be over too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Point. It's impossible for us to know who the man in black is. So he could just be left-handed. As far yeah. as the duel. Is, this is taking place on a set, by the way. This is not a real place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. Uh, I wrote down these guys are having a great time. And uh, first, the man in black, the man in black, like backs Inigo up against the cliff, uh, up against like the cliff edge, and Inigo and uh, man in black's like, why are you smiling? And Inigo's like. Uh, because because I know something you because I know something you don't know. Oh my god! And then he's and then Men Black is like, "What is that?" And Neo's like, "I am not left-handed." And he sw- he switches to his right, and the music swells, and he starts winning. And he forces the Man in Black up a staircase, and he like presses him against this like crumbling stone wall that backs out onto the cliff, and. They and they re and they reuse the bit. The man in black, uh, uh, Igor goes like, "Why are you smiling?" And the man in black goes, "I know something you don't know." And he's like, "I'm not, right. I'm not left handed. I'm not left handed either." He he yeah. pushes the ego off of him. He 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 throws the sword to his other hand. He does a little flourish and then he bows. The fucking yeah. musical sting as man in black cements his stained guy status by reusing an ego's bit. Yeah. And then he he like. Uh, they fight a little bit more. He like knocks Inigo's sword out of his hands and down like a ledge. And Inigo looks at it and then he looks back and then he jumps and he swings on this little overhead bar and lands <laughs> and and picks up the sword off the ground. This little poorly and, um, overhead bar that they've like kind of attached a vine to. Yeah. Uh, and then. The man in black throws his sword overhand. It spins and it lands perfectly, like blade down in a little tuft of grass. Yeah. And then he, and then he jumps for the same overhead bar and he does a full flip. Yeah, him throwing his sword and it, then it landed perfectly is so obviously fake, but it's so cool as is the flip and little pose he does because he when he la- he lands right next to the place he threw his sword after he does his flip. And then he does a little pose. Yep. And then and then Inigo's like, "Who are you?" Uh, and Men Black is like, "No one of consequence. I am no one of consequence." And Inigo's like, "I must know." And Men Black's like, "Get used, get used to disappointment." And then Inigo just makes like a little okay noise. All right. That I feel like could have could easily have been an ad lib. Because <laughs> it's just like okay, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I think in which part you originally mentioned, like, the music having a kind of gimmick to it to, for this fight. 
I remember comparing it to the music gimmick from the last Raiden versus Jetsing Sam from Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, where if you right. knock Sam's yes. sword out of his hand, the lyrics just stop. Yeah, the lyrics stop. Because uh, the man in black, like, knocks Inigo's sword out of his hand, and then he, like, and I, I'm pretty sure, because I have a little note that says, uh, let's see, Inigo catching the sword also gets a little musical sting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And while, while it's in the air, there's no music. Uh, my next note is the man in black wins by spinning. That's a good trick. And then, dis- and then disarming him. Like he spins the sword around so fast that Inigo can't catch up. And then he like cuts his hair on both sides and, th- and knocks the sword out of his hand. Inigo kneels and accepts, uh, his impending death with dignity. He just goes, kill me. Uh, uh, Inigo is, and then, uh, the man in black is like, I would soon, I would soon destroy, sooner destroy a stained glass window than an artist like yourself. However, since I can't have you following me either, and then he comic, however, comical knocking him over the head sound effects. Mm-hmm. He cautious him on the head with the guard of his sword, and ego falls flat on the ground. And the man in black says, "Please understand, I hold you in the highest respect." End of scene. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite uh, scenes. One of the few favorite scenes in this movie. It's really, really good. Uh, scene oh. 10. Finish him your way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, my next favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, yes. Vizzini notices the man in black catching up. He says, he says inconceivable for the fifth time. <laughs> Uh, and then he turns to Fezzik and he's like, Fezzik, uh, stay here and finish him your way. And Fezzik's like, all right, my way. Which way is my right. way? <laughs> and uh, Fezzik and Vizini's like, pick up a rock, hide behind that boulder, and then when his head comes into view, hit it with the rock. My way doesn't sound very sporting. Yeah, he says my way doesn't sound very sporting. Uh, and a, a, convenient, a conveniently placed Rocky pla- Rocky Pass played by Robin Hood's stride. Robin Hood's stride in Derbyshire. Oh, area. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, then uh, the man black comes around the bends, and a a rock completely shatters right next to his head. Uh, and then we see Fezzik holding up another rock. Uh, uh, like, like the, the shattered rock is definitely made of plaster, but also probably still very heavy. Yeah, right. Also, he threw it hard enough to completely shatter it. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's a, he is, he is a strong man. Uh, my next note yeah. is veteran professional wrestler gets to have his fight scene be a wrestling match. Nails it. Yeah, it does. Or it is rather. Uh, this was at the height of Andre Rusimov's career. His health was on the decline. He was in the middle of a highly popular feud with the Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. As an at the time heel wrestler, he knew how to sell a loss, and he does a good job here. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, fun the, fact, the... due to the before mentioned health issues, which was one of them being back issues, is the scenes for like the ride shots of the zoomed out, and we see the man in black on Frederick's back. That's a stunt ball playing 
for for Andre's stunt double doing those ah. scenes, and for the close-up scenes where the man in black is on Frederick's back, like the actor playing the man in black had to stand on like a step stool so that way he hit, his right wasn't actually on Andre's back. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, yeah, because back issues. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Back and ankle and yeah. knee issues. Yeah, if you pay really attention, bad. you can kind of tell that the stunt double is definitely not Andre, specifically <laughs> because he is much shorter than Andre. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. By a full <laughs> two feet. Andre theory. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the way the fight actually gets set up is because, like, uh, is physics like, Fezzik's basically like, why don't, uh, so let's fight each other, so, so let's fight each other hand-to-hand, the fundamentals of all combat, and, and the man in black is like, so you, so you put down your rock, and I put down my sword, and we fight each other like civilized people, and Fezzik has the rock, and he's like, I could just hit you with this rock, and uh, the man in black's like, no, no, your way sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, so, so they, so they get into the fight. They 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 have some banter. Uh, the yeah, Men in Black like gets on top of him and grabs him from and like grabs him around the neck from behind. Uh, uh, the, the asks him like he's why he's wearing a mask and uh, he's are you like he provides some reasons. I think I've forgotten most of them. Like, were you burned with acid or something? Yes, yeah. One of them is where you burn with acid, and he says. Oh no! It's just that they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. Insert COVID, COVID. joke. Ooh. Yeah, and then Fezzik's attack is uh, bashing him against the rock by backing up into it, and yeah. uh, the Man in Black's attack is choking him out. And uh, Fe- Fezzik explains that he's figured out why the Man in Black is giving him so much trouble, and it's because he's out of practice fighting a single guy. And uh, <laughs> The man likes like, why would that make such a difference? And physics like, well, you use different moves to fight a whole bunch of people than you would fight to, to fight just one. And he when he uh, when he finishes the explanation, he just barely manages to finish the explanation before he passes out. Uh, I do wonder if physics explanation about fighting styles is realistic, though. As a professional wrestler, he would probably know. And then uh, the man black stands up, stands back up again, and. He says, rest well and dream of large women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, as far as what he said about the difference, granted, I'm just a layman. I don't know a ton about nothing. I will say for choreographed fights, at least, it does seem like mob fights tend to involve like a lot more like bigger wide swings and stuff like that yeah. versus like close-up grappling. Yeah, this is why I say Finrix would probably be a, a drunken master monk. Simply because the he specialized in fighting more than one guy, yeah. Yeah. Better tavern brawler uh, barbarian. Well, I mean, if we're bringing homebrew, then... It... Oh, that's, that's, that's actually a feat you could take in 5 Yeah, tavern brawler is a feat. Yeah. Uh, scene 11, the loser is nothing. We cut to Count, Ru- uh, Count Rugen and Hupperdink. There with a bunch of horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, but my note is, how did he get here so fast? I think it's implied that it's been a couple hours, which is how they managed to get here. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know when they get to uh, the table later, 
they'll say she's alive, or at least she was an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, how did the nope. horses get here so fast? They couldn't have gone up the cliff in the nearest hours, but at least an hour away. Yeah, they they probably this probably just is they've been they they've been trying to get here for a while, and they did this yeah. and they they travel at the speed of gill balsing. Yeah, and they do say <laughs> and uh, Vizini does say earlier that no one in Florida could have gotten here so fast, which implies that they could have gotten here slower. Yeah, mm-hmm. what well, yeah. I mean, he did. We'll find out. He did know like where to go. Yeah, I love how much uh, he's just sitting here. Though he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, they did this," and then they walked and they stepped over here. Yeah, like, there was a great battle. He he like traces the footsteps of the duel between Inigo and the Man in Black. Uh, they're like, "Should," and then Rugen is what? Uh, Rugen is like, "Are we going to get go after both of them?" And then Humberdig is like, "The loser is nothing." Because the, the winner and the loser, the winner followed these other tracks, and the loser went off on in his own direction. Uh, he says this was planned by Warriors of Gilder on no proof at all, uh, because minor spoiler, he's in on it. Like it, yeah. it's a little weird that Vizini didn't know that it was Humberdink employing him. He probably could have just gone through an intermediary, but this is all part of a plot by Humberdink to start a war with Gilder. For I don't know some reason. I mean, presumably he wants to conquer Gilder. Presumably he you wants know, like, to conquer part of Gilder and steal some money and land. That's true. Because he's evil. His, his kingdom is 500 yeah. years old. He's got to make a, a big show of it. And then, yeah, Rugen points out that this could be a trap, and Humberdinger's is like, I always think everything could be a trap, which is why I'm still alive. Which, you know what? If, if he were a good guy, good line. I mean, good line either way. You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, anyway, scene 12, A Battle of Wits. This is set in Lathkill Dale, also in Derbyshire. This is where we find out that Vizzini has clearly never had anyone just stop him and say, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, he, 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 he has some banter with the man in black. Uh, he's like, he, he, thre- he threatens the princess, that, so they, they banter at a safe distance. And <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he accuses the... Uh, made like a quote, trying to kidnap what I've rightfully stolen. Wallace Shawn is great here. Like the monologue is too long to describe in detail, but uh, an especially good part is like, have you heard of Plato, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Morons. Morons. Fucking okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Vizzini points out that the man in black has beaten an ego, which means he must be he, beaten his Spaniard, so he must be very skilled, and he's beaten his giant, so he must be very strong. Uh, and then, uh, and he's like, but you, and he's like, but you could never beat me in a battle of wit. You, 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 you're, I'm, I'm clearly smarter than you. And so, uh, the man in black challenges him to a battle of wits for the princess to the death. I accept. <laughs> The the man in black does a bunch of smug nodding in those mm. in the bits between. Uh so so they come and sit down. Uh Vizzini has like a whole table set out with like food and drink, which is wild. Yeah. What, what the fuck? Where was I, I'm it? not entirely cl- I'm not entirely clear on why this was done. RPG logic, there's no end of space in his satchel. Right. Oh, of course. Like our cartoon characters just pull like a giant thing from behind their back from an invisible space. Yeah. Hammer space. There we go. There it is. Yeah, of course. 
Uh, no, he's just dummy thick, and he can keep them all in the cheek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no! Uh, yes, so the, the premise of the Battle of Wits is that the uh, men black pulls out a little, like, paper packet of stuff, and he's like, uh, sm- smell this, but do not inhale. And he's like, and Vizini's like, I smell nothing. And then like, he's like, what you do not smell is iocane powder. Is iocane powder. It is colorless, odorless, tasteless, and one of the more deadly poisons known to men. Does does also include instantly in liquid, and is one of the more deadly poisons known to men. No, iocane is odorless. This will come up later. Uh, the physical acting here is very impressive for the scene of two guys sitting at a table. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So, uh, and then. Uh, the man black takes the goblets behind his back, does something with the poison, brings them back right. out, shuffles them around a little, and is like, uh, the battle of wits will be, has begun. It will end when you choose, when you choose and we both drink. We will find out who is right and who is dead. Good line. Uh, yeah, he's, he specifically says, where is, where is the poison? The battle of wits has begun. Oh, right, yeah. The specific wording does matter. Uh, yeah, the wine in front of me speech is legendary for a good reason, but it's also a real thing that happens in hidden role games, and it usually has a similar non-ending, where uh, people go on and on for quite a long time, and then eventually someone cuts the knot and makes oh, all uh, of the makes all the discussion completely pointless. Right? Yeah, because uh, at some point you just want—is this person acting evil because he's evil, or is he bad, or is he acting evil on purpose to fool the evil guys? Mm-hmm. Or so, or something along those lines, or is it a double bluff? Yeah, at some point you do have to make a decision, and sometimes it's someone who wasn't, and and sometimes, uh, you just make a decision decision that is absolutely not based on anything that was just litigated. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Australia is a real place, and more importantly, a real penal colony or a formal penal colony in the Princess Bride. Yep, because. Uh, Vizini goes on a long rant about various reasons that the that the that the that the arcane powder would be in one glass or another. Uh, one of those is that the powder is from Australia, and that Australia yeah. is full of criminals. And he's like, "But you would have known that I would have known that Australia is full of criminals, and so you wouldn't have, and so you would have double bluffed me." And then, and he's like. Well, you're very strong. You've you've beaten my giant, so you must be very strong. So you might have put the poison in your own glass, trusting on your strength to uh, save you. Or, but I, you you've also been my standard, which you must have studied. And studying, you'd have learned that men is mortal. So you would have put the poison as far away from yourself as humanly possible. Uh, note that was note that the man in black does get genuinely nervous when Fasini implies that he put the poison in his goblet because he would survive drinking it. And then he immediately goes back to being smug once he realizes that uh, Vizini is just messing with him. And he says, yeah. you're trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work. And then after so much like going on and prevaricating, uh, the man like falls for the old look behind you gambit, uh, <laughs> which mm-hmm. appears to have been Vizini's entire plan. He, 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 in, he interrupts his sentence to go, good God, what, what, what could that possibly be? A horse. And he, he like points behind the man in black, and while the man in black is like, what? Where? He switches the two goblets. Uh, and then 
Man Mike's like, I didn't see anything. And Vusini plays it off and he starts making some amazing faces. The faces he makes here are so good. Also note that he only actually drink he like he puts the goblet up to his mouth, but he only actually drinks once the man in black has, since Vizini thinks that the man in black will only drink first if his goblet wasn't poisoned and Vizini switched the goblets. And uh the man in black uh, after they drink the man in black very kindly just says, You guessed wrong. Uh, and Vizini goes on a whole rant about ha 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 ha. You only thought I did. I switched the goblets where you weren't looking. Uh, you've fallen oh. for one of the great blunders. One of the classic blunders. Uh, one of them is, of course, never get involved in in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less famous is never go up against Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he starts laughing evilly, and halfway through a laugh, he just completely stops and then falls over completely dead in his chair. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so good. Uh, hey. The man in black, uh, black frees uh, Buttercup and... She's like, who are you? And he says, no one to be trifled with, to be added to his no one of consequence from earlier. And yep. Buttercup's like, so, so the poison was in your glass the entire time. And then, of course, the reveal, the poison was in both glasses. Uh, I've spent the last several years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. Uh, because, of wow. course, at the beginning, he only said, where is the poison and not which glass is the poison in. It turns out where the answer to where is the poison, it was in both glasses. In both yep. goblets. Uh, this is a classic rigged shell game. The ball, unpoisoned wine, wasn't in any of the shells, goblets, after all. So switching them does nothing. Yep, pretty much. Uh, scene 13, catch your breath. Uh, the Man in Black and Buttercup continue escaping. This scene filmed in the wonderfully named Carl Wark. Right. Uh, brief brief Humperdinck interlude where they're like, where they're like, hmm. I, 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 I hmm. Uh, a giant has been felled here. Let's go. Let's keep going this way. All right, boss. Sure. All right, boss. Uh, my next line is misogynist Wesley go off. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember exactly what happens in this scene, but like he says a lot of very rude things about women to Buttercup. Yeah. He, 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 also, he also threatens to hit her. We see, like, yeah. not cheap lies again. Yeah. Which is, with, like, Where I come from, there are penalties when a woman lies. Yeah. Uh, my note for that is, he is really torn up about her marrying someone she does not love, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah earlier, moment. Uh, earlier, he uh, he calls Humperdinck your love, and she says, I do not love him. And he comes back with, are not capable of love is what you mean. And I'm and, I, and my note is wow this guy's an extremely scorned lover. Uh, Robin Wright mm-hmm. Robin, Robin Wright does a lot here with frankly not very much. Uh, <laughs> Robin uh, uh, the Man in Black goes for the misogyny high score and then decides not to hit her, which is when he almost slaps her across the face and then doesn't and he just says mm-hmm. Princess when I come from there's a penalty there there is consequences or penalty I forget exactly what line is when a woman lies. Yeah. Uh, scene 14, I know who you are. We cut back to Humperdinck. He identifies the Iocane powder, which is an odorless poison, by smelling it. Sure. And then he's like, and then he sees Buttercup's tracks, and he's like, she's alive, or was an hour ago. They're apparently an hour behind, behind at this point, so presumably he did actually spend some time sailing around with the horses earlier. And then, following up on the she was alive an hour ago thing, he says, if she is elsewhere when I arrive, <laughs> I shall be very put out. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, bud. Are you going to be miffed as well? Yeah. Uh, we cut back to Buttercup and the Man, and the man in Black. Uh, Buttercup is like, I know who you are. You're the Dread Pirate Roberts. And he does a little bow and just admits it. My name is Brian. <laughs> no. Uh, she gives him the rawest <laughs> line thus far, and he just does the tongue clack thing. Uh, I can't believe I forgot what the actual line is. Nah, fuck. I just watched the movie, too. I could go check, but unfortunately... I, I remember I went back and checked in the last episode, but I don't think we have time now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you know what? Like, fuck it. Yeah. We 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 we, ha- we don't have time. To- we don't have time for all those tangents we went on either. <laughs> I might as well. Yeah. Uh, y'all go ahead and discuss the scene amongst yourselves while I go find it. Huh. Mm, excuse me. Next, I'm gonna get a drink real quick. I, I made a mistake sitting like a few feet away from where I had my water. Right. Yeah. When she when she call- when she says that he's the Dread Pirate Robert, he does a little bow and says with pride. Yeah, because he's like, she's like, admit it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. her line is, you can die. He says, what can I do for you? And her line is, you can die slowly, cut into a thousand pieces. And he just shakes his head and clicks his tongue like an asshole. God, that is a good line, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then, clicking his tongue and shaking his head like, rimming. She says, <laughs> I, she says, you killed my love. And he says, it's possible. I kill a lot of people. You know what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he said, my job. man beyond me, he must like, you killed my father. Do you realize how little that sums it down? Yeah. Uh, hey, Robin Wright has ear piercings. Do those exist in whatever imaginary time period this is set in? There's also a close-in will... shot of the Man in Black's eyes, and then Buttercup immediately mentions Wesley's, eye- Wesley's eyes. Well, I mean, to, well, not earrings in particular, the razor blade for shaving has been around since, like, the Bronze Age. Neat. So, I'm sure earrings was a thing back then. Uh, but yeah. He, yeah, he, he's like, I can't, I can't afford to not, uh, not kill people. People stop respecting you, and then it's nothing but work, 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 all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man in black. Man, <laughs> uh, man dressed all in black says, life is pain, more at a <laughs> Anyone who says differently is selling something is a good line, though. Oh, my God. Uh, nothing you can say will upset me, says upset woman. <laughs> <laughs> She's shocked with what she hears. Yeah, Man in Black describes Wesley, throws an honestly pretty sick insult at Buttercup, and they argue. And then she, <laughs> she shoves him down the hill. Yeah. Is this working? To die or the insult, die? yeah. The insult is when you found out it was he was dead. Did you get engraved to your prince the same hour? Did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? Okay, damn, that is a good. That is pretty good though. Hanses appear. There, there are Hanses. Oh yeah, I will say I do not know how. This I think is the first time I actually caught him slowly shouting "as you wish" as he tumbles down the hill. He does. But- he does shout "as you wish." Man comically falling down hill shows meaningful lime. Buttercup immediately regrets her actions. Uh, the hill here represented by Cave Dale in Yorkshire. She then comically oh, throws herself down the hill. Uh, several seconds of nothing but falling in Minecraft pain noises. Right. I, I seriously think somehow I missed him saying that and thought that he was 
just falling because the script needed her to fall. No, he he says, as you wish, she realizes that he's Wesley, and she mm-hmm. chases after him. We cut back to Humberdink and Rugen. Uh, Humberdink has a line yeah. where he's like, unless I am wrong, and I am never wrong. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Since we know this is Wesley now, fun fact about this scene. He, like, as Wesley, like, sits down, like, walks, sits down, and gets back up again, is all... Like, you'll notice that he's kind of walking and, like, goes to sit down and gets up a bit strange. And that is because it's due to a dirt buggy accident. <laughs> I believe his right ankle was broken. Oh, jeez. Good lord. <laughs> Good lord. And that's why if you go watch that scene again, you'll notice that he's walking very carefully. And as he's getting down, he's... You can tell he's not putting right on the broken ankle. <laughs> and right, he kind of does like a one leg scratch when he gets back up. God. Imagining the man in black just ripping it on a dune buggy. <laughs> but yeah, this was a pantry because of like originally they was like, yeah, let's reschedule this because your ankle's broken. And the actor is just like, no. I got you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, she has a cute line. Uh, It goes. uh, Was was he asked like, uh, like, can you stand? Uh, And then she's like, "You're alive. If you want, I could fly." Oh. Yeah, which is a cute line. And then they hug. Also, to continue for five D and D five E class assignments. I think last yeah. time we gave him, like, we agreed on him being, like, a sword bard. But I think, yeah. thinking about it, I think he's just he a dex paladin. Oh, Ooh. yeah, of course he is. Oath of okay, true love. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Oath of devotion, he's devoted to yeah. Oath of devotion. Yeah. I'm surprised y'all remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh... Death cannot stop true love. This man is 100% a believer in the power of love. They go to kiss, yeah. and then the, the young boy complains that they're kissing again. Scene 14, they're kissing again. This is just <laughs> a neat little scene that has Peter Falk in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the, the cutaways do not, do, don't take away from the movie. They themselves are also good yeah. to watch. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they run for the, they, they run for the fire swamp. Uh, uh, Butter, Buttercup's like, we won't survive. And then Wesley's like, you're only saying that because no one ever has. Also a good line. Yeah. <laughs> he gets a lot of good quips. Wesley gets a ton of good quips. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he goes, it's not that bad. And she gives him such a look. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Do we uh, give the list of uh, possible threats in the fire swamp now, or do we get them more? It, it is much time? later. It is okay. much later that we get the yeah. list. Uh, the, he, he makes some quip about the trees being particularly lovely. Uh, the trees are not actually particularly lovely. Speaking of the not trees, me. the entire fire swamp is also a set in Surrey. Uh, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, Wesley do- looks directly into the camera here, and it's weird. Uh, I, have a sc- I have a screenshot of... Oops. The I have a screenshot of this way back. Let me see if I can find it again. Oh, crap. Hold on. 
Do, 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 do. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I've posted a lot of images. Oh, there yeah. it is. Found it. I have Oops. replied to it in the in the chat. There we go. He really does look directly yeah. into the camera. It it's a little weird, but I would have to say it's it's placed semi appropriately in the movie. Just it it is a tiny bit jarring. Yeah, he is looking in the direction that he is that he is walking. It's kind yeah. of jarring, but it's not so bad. Yeah. yeah, in the actual movie. Honestly, I'd say the face he's making is more jarring. He's just rude. Yeah, it is a, it is a silly like, face. Hey. He's like, yeah. all right, bud. <laughs> At some point, we talked about what we do in the dark, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, wait, I think I remember what got us there. Okay. Oh, yeah, what yeah. Got, do you remember what got us there? Because I sure don't. Yeah, it was yeah, we, We're not there yet in the movie. Okay, so, uh, so Wesley talks about how he could have possibly survived the Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, the story he told earlier about him saying please when Roberts was about to kill him was true. It was the please that caused, his, that caused the tension. Uh, he was like, all right, Wesley, I've never had a valet before. You can try it. Mm-hmm. Almost like I kill you in the morning. And, and then and then they repeat that because uh, he says that every night he was like, uh, good night. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. And then eventually uh, Ro- Roberts, Roberts got so rich he wanted to retire. So he came to Wesley and was like, so he, he took Wesley to his cabin and was like, I'm not the real Dread Pirate. I'm not the Dread Pirate Roberts. My name is Cumberbund. My name is Ryan. He says, my name is Ryan. I heard this shit from the previous Dread Pirate Roberts. He wasn't named Roberts either. His name was Cumberbund. And my note yeah. was Cumberbund is a very funny name. It is. There are a lot of good uh, names. And he, he mentions that the real Roberts has, has been retired 15 years and is living like a king in Patagonia. I know. I love it. Like, the Dread Pirate Roberts, I'm pretty sure I said this last time, has not been... The actual Roberts, longer than it was. Yeah, and my note is, I would surrender to the Dread Pirate, Ro- uh, the Dread Pirate Wesley, because like the point they're making is the name recognition. They keep the name. Yeah, yeah and he's like, I'm, I'm going to ret- now that I've found you, I'm going to retire and hand the name off to someone else. Uh, it's weird that she. Di- and uh, there yeah, was he finished- right. Yeah, there was there were special Roberts that were exclusive to the book. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Clooney yeah, was yeah. the original Robert's first mate, and the first one to take up the title of, of Dread Pirate Roberts after the original Roberts. And then it was Cumberbund, then Ryan, and then Wesley, and then there's two alternate versions, but I'll wait till we finish this to get to them. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Back to the movie. Uh... He he finishes the explanation. He's like, "Is everything clear to you?" Uh, it's weird that she doesn't get a nine, but she does get a, a line. But she gets, does get a nice nod, and then she immediately gets punked by the lightning sand. She falls into a pit of quicksand, and uh, Wesley like runs around frantically for a second, and then cuts a vine and dives oh, in man. with it, as as like, like holding it like a rope. Some good physical acting from Cariel was here, and an early intro- introduction to the Rous because. While they're both under the sand, we just get to see like the pit, and there's there's a large rodent that like walks past. Yeah, it just walks by. Like yeah, it just walks by. Watching a also, trail camera. Yeah, they the, they heroically climb out of the thing. The music swells, and then they both just lie on the ground for a while, coughing up sand. Again, uh, the fair. music also 
The two of them lying down, catching their breath, and coughing up sand is also surprisingly good because, like, you wouldn't expect that. You would let, you'd expect them to just get up and keep going, but yeah, it, it both gives but, you some time to breathe between all the action, and it's surprisingly realistic because, yeah, that was harrowing. They need some time to recover. Yeah. You know what? Not quite as embarrassing as the thing I said earlier about not noticing the as you wish. I just fucking got why it's called the lightning sand because it's quicksand, but it's really fast. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it's until now. Sand. I didn't know until now that it's called lightning sand because it's just quicker sand. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched this movie Quick so many times. I'm going to text my mom about this. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, though, in the, the moment that it happened when she just falls and does that yelp, I busted out laughing so hard that Artie hopped up on me because it did him a concern. He was like, Dad, what's going on? <laughs> Why are you making the loud noises? <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch this movie again after we do this. God dang it! Watch, watch the movie, and then I didn't do this this time because I didn't have time. But a great double feature is watching The Princess Bride and then um, Men in Tights. They were so yes. well. Well, yeah, because oh yeah, no, definitely doing Grace that. Rosary also plays Robin Hood. Exactly. Yeah, right. Carrie Ellis. Yeah, Carrie Ellis was good. Unlike some Robin Hood, just I, because, but... just because it's cursed. Also, same the act, the same actor that played Wesley and Robin Hood. I'll probably just watch the first Saw movie just to see the age progression. <laughs> Man, Carrie Ellis is in Saw. The yeah. first Saw movie, yeah, he's the Doctor. Huh. Okay. We're it is a tank. so good. It's so funny because they ended up bringing him back in one of the later movies. I forget which because they made it seem yeah. like it's now it's like three or four. Great instead of what they actually did because they make it seem like he's like a cult oh, they of... bring him back in I think seven because that was yeah, the original like, ending yeah. yeah because the twist was that the doctor became one of John's disciples and he and made like... a promise to John that if anything happened to John he would protect John's ex-wife but if something happened to John's ex-wife if the doctor would immediately he deal with whatever caused the incident. In this Which case, it was the current Jigsaw who killed John's wife. But John was the original Jigsaw for those who don't watch Saul. Yeah. So, Which like, is so unrelated. Like oh, sorry. I'm sorry. There's just this one scene where yeah, after at the end of Saul 7, I think his name is like Marcus or Parley or something like that. Uh, the current Jigsaw basically just does a massacre in the police department, kills yeah. John's wife, well, ex-wife, and then immediately gets jumped afterwards by a two, like three people, one of them with a limp, and it's yep. revealed for one with a limp is the doctor. Yeah, he's like. All like earlier in the movie, there was this whole support group of like jigsaw survivors, and it's implied that like they're all collectively like a, a cult of jigsaw working together with him as the leader now. Would have been minus one. For the one of them is just there because she's trying to get therapy and she hates the soul traps because it's like <laughs> I think it, the one line that I know from that movie is that when talking about like. How they all learn things. She just immediately goes like, like no. how everyone's talking about how great their lives are now. 
is changed for the better. Her, she immediately goes like, the only thing that changed for me is that now I have to use the handicap space. Yeah, which is fair. Which is I, think this, I think that's actually the support group is actually from Soul 6, but... I forget eh. which. You know what? Uh, I've come around on the tangents because the original uh, take of recording The Princess Bride was the longest episode that Disney Minus has recorded thus far. And with God as my witness, we are going to make this one just as long, if not longer. Yeah, exactly. Thank God I just opened up a bag of chips and a, and a pitcher of tea then. Let's do this. Oh, uh-huh. I, have, I have not eaten since early this mor- since like earlier this morning. I am, oh, suffering, from my, I am suffering from my art. <laughs> but no, what, what I was going to say about Terry my burgers. He, it's so funny that they brought him back with this ending in like Saw Six or Seven because if you look at interviews between Saw well, One, he comes back in Saw Seven. The support group was Saw Six, and that was like a guy. Like the support group was made by a guy who was pretending to be a Saw Trap victim because yeah. he wrote a book. Oh, he's like, a fake victim. Yeah. Yes. He's and also he... the guy who gets trapped in it because John, before he died, set up a series of traps for this one guy who pretend who wrote a book about being surviving a soul trap. Yeah, and they the put final him... trap of the movie is him having to do the trap that he said he survived. It's so good. Saw and getting killed because he's a faker. Yeah. Yep. Well, no, he does not get killed. This is one of the Saw movies where there's a lot of collateral damage. That, yeah. Because the, one, like, the person who dies is his fiance slash wife, who did not yeah. know he ri- lied about oh, no. surviving a trap. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, damage. I think it was the lead singer that was in one of the traps in one of the uh, Saw movies. The, yeah, the car trap where he's super glued to the seat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was him. But no, what I was going to say, though, if you watch interviews uh, with Carrie Elwes about Saw, anywhere in between his two appearances in the series, he does not give a shit. They, like, mm-hmm. try to ask, ask him, like, what's your favorite trap that's been in the series? Or, like, can you remember which movie this trap was from? And he can never answer. He's like, oh, well, the trap I was in was pretty good. Okay, well, which movie was this trap from? And he's, like, two movies off or something. <laughs> It was, it was also, those movies to get paid. Saul movies. Saul 9, yeah. also known as Saul, I mean, Spiral Book of Saul. Oh, yeah, that's right. Was written purely because Chris Rock wanted to be in a Saul movie. That's really funny. I still need to watch that. I heard that it did turn out to be good, so there is that. It, it was. It was actually not bad. There we go. Yeah, it has to rock his jigsaw because he only targets cops. Hot Hell take. yeah, ACAB. I know, right? It's a little weird for the time, too. My hot take is that Saw and Final Destination and all of these series are actually unironically good. Yeah. Interesting. I I'm hoping the next Saw movie is a Isekai where John is reincarnated in a fantasy world, but he's in charge of a dungeon. So he makes no, a trap. Instead of setting oh. up monsters, he just sets up traps. Oh, do you mean the video? Do you mean the classic bullfrog video game dungeon ke- dungeon keeper? You know yeah. what? I, yes. But, you know what? Making yeah. a crossover is a soul dungeon keeper crossover movie. Oh, God. speaking of, uh, 
Speaking of uh, Dungeon Keeper crossovers, uh, there is there there was a popular long running uh, Dungeon Keeper fan fiction that I read uh, all of a couple months ago, and you you could not in a million years guess what it is crossed over with ever. Like, I'll give each of you a free shot, and then you're I'm going to say what it is, and you're going to be surprised. Uh, what was that second one besides Rugrats? Ed, Ed, and Eddie? No, you're actually pretty pretty far off. Dark. <laughs> it's Sailor Moon. Ah. Okay, my original guess was going to be My Little Pony, so I wouldn't have been as far off. That wouldn't have been that far off. Yes, <laughs> Sailor Mercury gets isekai to uh, Dungeon Keeper World and accidentally God. becomes a Dungeon Keeper. And that is the impetus for the rest of the plot of the fanfiction. So she's so- both overpowered and traumatized the entire time. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, fun fact, that's only revealed due to the official TikTok from the Lion, I think Lion Gates or the Saul TikTok channel. Apparently, John is, well, was by. Oh. Huh. Oh, wait. Huh. Mm-hmm. He's bisexual. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's news to me. That's news to fucking everybody. That that's like revealing that Palpatine's back in Fortnite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somehow Palpatine has returned. Oh my god! And he's carrying a scar, a golden scar. No, what's even more ridiculous? I found out recently because I watch uh, movie reviews on YouTube for movies that I've never seen. Apparently, Lionsgate made a Saw knockoff called Are You Scared? I think I've heard of that one. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, I the what? movie The Collective was originally supposed to be a Saw prequel movie until it was forced to be made into its own IP. That's, that's, that's like the opposite direction that that usually goes. Huh. Yeah, I think this was, like, right after Saul 7, so it was, like, basically when they did since Saul wasn't doing that well, they was like, mm, make it something else, so that way it'll hopefully sell better. Yeah, fair. Obviously it didn't sell all that great, because I don't think many people have heard of that movie, unless I'm the one living under the rock, and I just haven't heard of it. The title has a sequel. So it did oh. well enough to get one sequel. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, anyway, can we get back to the movie now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot we were doing Princess uh, Bride, not Saw. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Where are my notes? Wesley well, hears well, and makes direct eye contact with a large rat here. This will be relevant in a minute. Right. Uh, oh, uh, this is a threat. Um, he... He says there's the fire, obviously, but like that he makes him noise. No, there's one line. I have to, I, there's one note, but that that takes place between these two, and it is Doomer Buttercup. Because she's like, we're ne- we'll never survive. We might as well die here. And he's like, nonsense. We've already succeeded. That's well, he's okay. Like, no, that's, no, we've already succeeded. That's right. You can yeah, now do your thing. Yeah, that's what prompts him to make the list. Is there's the fire, but that makes a loud noise, so they can dodge it pretty easy. There's the lightning sand, but they've just proven that they can survive it, which I would put an asterisk on that shit. 
And well, she's like, but what about the, the ROUSs? And he's like, the rodents of unusual side, uh, size? I'm pretty sure they don't really exist. And then he immediately gets attacked by one. Well, Wesley mentions yeah, the, the, lion, li- the lion is, I don't think they exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when he mentions the lightning sand, he says, like, since we always stepped in it, we now know what to look for so we don't step in it again. That was it. Yeah. He's like, we know what it looks like, so we can avoid it from in future. Uh, by the yeah, this movie has a great talent for comedic juxtaposition. Right after he says the ROUSs don't exist, he gets punked by one. He definitely knows they exist and was lying for her sake. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, because he just saw one. Yeah. Also, I'd like uh, to point out that in practical effects, this is the second time they've made some really good props for creatures in this movie. Yeah, like this thing looks yeah. horrible, but not in the sense that it's a bad prop. In the sense that but this thing is fucking disgusting, and they did a good job at making it just yeah. the worst. Yeah, Wesley gets into a knockdown, knockdown dragout fight with the rat because he can't reach his sword, so he mostly just wrestles it. Yeah, uh, it starts charging a dog. Uh, it, st- it starts charging Buttercup and he, like, grabs it. Uh, Buttercup's kind of useless other- in this scene other than just kind of poke, beating it ineffectually with a large stick. Yeah, a little bit. Which is disappointing. Yeah, but I think this is just... This scene's very good. Now, I think I mentioned this in the last one at this exact moment, but you know, I think this is just a artifact of the original book. That's because fair. Because the original um, yeah. book had, like, had it be, like, much more non-active. Yeah, okay, yeah, I think I remember you saying that last time, too, yeah. She's also written to be dummy. Ugh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Again, that this is why a lot of people say the movie is much better than the book. You know what? Fair enough. Uh, Rat, gets ro- uh, Rat gets roasted because Wesley, Wesley like, wrestles it into mm-hmm. the fire of the fire swamp. Wesley's been real His shoulder looks real, real bad. Like that's that's some good makeup work to make it look so terrible. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that he just repeatedly stabs it until it dies, unexpectedly brutal way to remind you that this scene movie is not a comedy, and then they just walk out of the fire swamp. Scene yep. fifteen, I swear it will be done. Uh, this forest brought to you by Burnham Beaches in Buckinghamshire. Mm-hmm. Uh there's some good banter, like uh Humperdinck orders him to surrender and was just like you're surrendering to me? I accept. Yeah, I love it. And they banter with each other for a while. Uh, Buttercup would really rather not die, so she trades her freedom for both of their lives. Yeah. Because they're, yeah. be, they're surrounded by crossbowmen. She doesn't want Wesley to die. But well, also, okay. the, I'm pretty sure the implication is that she will also get shot if they don't surrender. I would assume. Plus, like... Because he's just going to, like, fake something, something, the Gilders did it. Yeah. Well, I don't think she knows that yet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, he's he. Uh, she's like, promise that you won't hurt him, and you'll get him back to his ship. And uh, Humdrink's like, I swear it will be done. But uh oh, his and almost imme- yeah, and then almost immediately he's like, once we're out of sight, take him back to Florin and throw him in the pit of despair. And Rugen, of course, says, I swear it will be done. And this is where, as innocent as I was the first time I watched the movie, I thought they were going to have something happen where, like, he, where, like, Rugen was also lying. 
and was actually going to take Leslie back to his ship so that Leslie would be fine. Fool that I was. Yeah, but no, once they get Buttercup out of the way, uh, Rugen, it is finally revealed that he is the six-fingered man who killed Domingo Montoya. Yep. He he is the secondary villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Wesley knows how how punked he is about to get, so when Rugen <laughs> lies, lies to his face, he's like, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. And Rugen just smiles and gives the order for them to, like, tie him up. Then he notices the sick fingers. Yeah, Rugen's shit-eating grin is great. Uh, Wesley points out the six fingers, and Rugen immediately, like, pulls his sword out and caches him in the head with the handle. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that scene, Wesley is now unconscious. Scene 16, The Pit of Despair, uh, with Mel Smith playing the albino. I'm pretty sure that's how he's credited, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my next note is Wesley gets his makeup removed by a stereotype. Uh, this guy's, yeah. yeah, this guy's like an Igor figure where he where he is physically strange in some way and he talks real and he talks real weird. Uh, the part he where he rem- yeah, the part where he throws his quote and becomes normal, well, English, not normal, is good though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To be fair, is a good bit him having like the stereotype voice and then being like. <laughs> Actually, yeah, and then like the, the the subtitles even say parenthesis normal voice after he clears his throat. Oh my god, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he he, he, he explains have, he banter and Wesley. Uh, Wesley's like, why why are you heal why are you healing me? And he's like, uh, the prince and the count ins- insist on everyone being healthy before they're broken, and Wesley's like. Wesley's like, uh, so, so it's torture. And the albino just smiles and nods. And, yeah. and then Wesley, like, brazens it out. He's like, I can withstand torture. And the albino, quote, nobody withstands the machine. The machine! The machine, the machine, the machine, the machine. Machine is, has odd connotations to it, though. Right? When you see it, at least. It's like, wow. oh, this is weird. Yeah, it is a bit of a strange machine. Some may like it. Others may yeah. draw many questions from it. There's a little there's a, there's a little interlude with... Yeah, we're now in scene 17, which I will not say the name of quite. There's, an, there's a little interlude with uh, Rugen, and then, and then the narrator says... The king died that very night, and then Umberdink and Buttercup got grandpa. It got married, and then uh, the small child uh, like poke, uh, like interrupts again and says, and he's like, "Grandpa, you read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley." And I have written in my notes, uh, "Small child is an incel white knight. Stop being such a bitch, small child." <laughs> Yeah. Wrap the nuke on him. Yeah. This line here is basically like this can't end without Wesley getting or without Wesley like winning Buttercup back or something like that. And 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 then and then Peter and his grandfather like talks him down and they continue the story. 
this uh, this scene being just that one earlier scene where Princess Buttercup is introduced to the commonery uh, is either a bit or a hint that it's not real. Dun, dun, dun. I love how like overly exaggerated stuff is for this scene too. Like their crowns are fucking ridiculously big. Yeah, they're massive. Uh, it's also good. Yeah, Buttercup gets Buttercup gets booed at by an old lady, and her only response is, "Why do you do this? Why you do this?" There we go. <laughs> the memes from this uh, scene are amazing. And my next oh, note is Buttercup gets insulted by an old lady and wakes up in bed. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a dream. The king is still alive. Uh, grandson is like, see, I told you. And <laughs> the grandfather is like, yes, you're very smart. Shut up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Buttercup threatens her own life and Humperdinck cancels the wedding, but you know that in his head he's like, bet. Because like, of I course he wants her dead. He cancels the wedding. He's Makes a condition of like if he'll send his fastest shit. He does say consider our wedding off. Yeah. Because, okay. like, he does say that. But he he then also says, but if Wesley doesn't show up, please consider then me an alter. We get to that we get to that later. We'll, we'll get to oh. that in the short in the short while. Uh she's like, My Wesley will always come for me and then the face he makes is I need to have that man killed immediately. Yeah, because <laughs> he tr- he tries to cast doubt on him coming back for her, and then Humperdinck kind of flails for a bit, and then says something that will get him into trouble later. Uh, he offers to send to send four copies of a letter with his four fastest ships in each direction, and uh, which is good of them because that means that one at least one ship is first going to have to make like a big ass trip around yeah. to the so, like. I would assume north or south is probably going to have to be the step that, that gets hit with that. Uh, I mean, had a note. Uh, Please consider me as an alternative to suicide is such a pathetic line, and she looks at him like she knows it. It really is, though. Uh, scene 18, The Machine. Uh, my first note is, God, this guy is such a bastard. He just casu- <laughs> casually says that he hired Vizzini to kill her. And that he's also still planning to... And now he's kill, planning to kill her personally. Uh, just two guys named Chris planning to fake a justification for war by murdering this woman. Yeah. Uh, two Chris's, also known as the two girl bosses. Now, <laughs> now they're, they're male bosses. Men's One, plane, two, male boss. Male wife. I don't know. Uh, this MF named Tyrone, because he is... Count Rubin's yeah. first name is Tyrone, as is revealed in this scene. I fucking forgot his first name was Tyrone. I was not prepared. Yeah, uh, and he, he and then he he has a little like mini monologue about how busy he is. My wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilder to frame for it. I'm swamped. Oh, <laughs> this might be an odd take. I think these two guys are wife guys, but they each each other's wives. There yeah. you go. Uh, the villains of this movie doing bits at each other constantly is part mm-hmm. of why it's so good. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, uh, minor note about the the my wedding to arrange my wife to order etc. Uh, line from earlier. Uh, one of the best jokes in the princess book, the YouTube video, is yeah. where they cut that up and into uh, and and put like 
My people to murder. My people to murder. My, my father country to, to revenge. My father my to meet and my wife to blame it all. And my wife, to, and my wife to frame for it. Yeah. I'm swamped. Fire swamped. And then the fucking <laughs> musical sting. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the movie. Mm-hmm. God, the top comment on that is someone saying him just going among us sus and the crowd going wild is going to be stuck in my brain for the rest of the year, probably. Yeah. And I hope that's doing okay. They're probably not. The, the psychological toll that takes probably too much to bear. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, my next wrong. my next note is very Marquis de Sade vibes from Rugen over here. He uh, yeah. he's writing a whole book about pain. That's very sad. Uh, and then my next note is Count Rugen doesn't seem like he would be very good at BDSM. Nah. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Yes, seriously. Uh, uh, man uses water wheel and a series of suction cups for torture somehow. That's, I don't fucking know how this works. This is where um, we... Uh, hold on, I have two more notes, and they need to be read in close succession, so if you'll give me a little time, please. There you go, okay. Oh, so it's some kind of water-powered mechanical vampire. New yeah. band name, Water Powered Mechanical Vampire. <laughs> that is such a good one. Plot is all I have to say to that. Sure, yeah. You you go you do you, bud. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. This machine allegedly drains your life force. Sure. Yeah. Similar to energy vampires from what we do in the dark. Yeah, my next my next note is you could definitely re-edit this sucking obsessed man to be very obsc- very obscene very easily because he's like this is just sucked one year of your life away. I need oh, you right. to explain to me how he's like I need you to explain to me how you feel in detail. And my next note is Wesley is sobbing, but also his mouth is gagged. So how is he expl- how is he supposed to explain anything? Well, you know, well, it's more the sobbing. In, in interpretive dance, dance, maybe? It, well, it's interpretive dance. It's first to stop up in Morse code. God. No, he, he wants him to explain in the way that, like, a dentist will ask what your plans for the weekend are. With the drill yeah. in your oh, mouth. Yeah, that's yeah. just like a dentist just does that to distract you. This guy apparently that's, wants an actual answer. Yeah. That's, you know what? You're You're right. Yeah. Anyway, scene nineteen. Former brute squad. A red-faced man appeared. He, he is he is very like ruddy and flushed, especially nah. in comparison to Humperdinck, who is quite pale. Yeah. Uh, the chief. This guy's definitely getting set up, or at the very least, he's part he's part of the scheme to fake a war without being in on it. Because uh, Humperdinck tells him like assassins from Gilder are going to kill her. She will not be murdered. I want the I want the deep I want the deep forest empty. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Buttercup appears to remind you that Humperdinck is in deep. <laughs> yeah. I love uh, the chief standing all the way up just for the 10 seconds that Buttercup is in the room and then sitting yeah. back down. Yeah. Uh, the chief enforcer says, well, that won't be easy. And Humperdinck's like, try ruling the world sometime. Uh, all right. <laughs> and then it's a, all right, you do you, bud. <laughs> yeah. The, we cut to the, we cut to the brute squad in the Thieves Forest. Uh, they're like, there's a Spaniard giving us some trouble. 
<laughs> and we cut to the Spaniard, and it's it's an ego. Is it just me, or does he have more stubble than he did in the rest of the film in this scene? He's just that drunk, okay? Yeah, he is incredibly it's drunk. No shave, November. Uh, this this is where Vizini and Inigo met. He went back to the beginning because Vizini yeah. told him to go back to the beginning. He's just in there shouting like Vizini, I'm here. Yeah, bro, who are you? Dude's like ho there, and he's like keep your ho there. I am waiting for Vizini. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And Fezzik comes up and he says, you, Charlie, are a meanie. The rhymes are back. The rhymes. Yes. Inigo looks up at Fezzik and they both just smile. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, immediately cautions the other brute over the head and gets to helping Inigo. Like a true bro. Yeah. yeah. He's, so, he, he's such a cool guy. Good friend. That's uh, because like, the friend we all need. Yeah, lots of uh, dr- lots of drunk man comedy. Uh, there's some there's some uh, narration, and Fe- Fezzik explains what has happened and that they found the six fingered man to Inigo, who passes out in his soup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. cuts, uh, the drunk man comedy ends in him getting repeatedly dunked in a hot and cold water to sober <laughs> him up. And Inigo Turns starts planning to. Uh, starts planning to rescue the man in black like the king he is, because he knows that the, 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 the two of them alone can't def- cannot defeat the guard and get into the castle. So they need the man in black. Yeah. Having two, they, 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 two rogues this wasn't working out. Yeah, need, yeah. You solved out Vizzi- one yeah, rogue, Vizzini they need help, the Vizzini is dead. And, uh, and he goes like, he beat me with sword, he beat you with strength, he must have outthought Vizzini. Anyone who c- can do that can plan our uh, can plan our assault. He's like, you know what? and then at the end of the scene, he has the, this great pair of lines, which is, after 20 years, at last, my father's soul will be at peace. There will be blood tonight. Fucking <laughs> shouts it. Yeah, and uh, we get to scene 20, tonight we marry. Uh, he starts the scene sharpening a knife because he's evil and going to stab his wife. I know, right? Uh, Humperdinck is justifiably paranoid. He tells them to double the guard in front of the castle. Uh, he is not paranoid enough because he immediately gets caught in a lie. I know. Like, he, yeah, he, he says something like, about how he has all his ships uh, going to escort them to wherever, to their honeymoon. And Buttercup's like, except for your four fastest. And the face he makes when it happens is great. He slowly stops smiling, makes the uh-oh face, and then desperately tries to recover. Yeah. And the like... Che- I would also probably make that mistake and then turn around and be like, oh yeah, except for those four. But like... She does not buy it for a second. She she immediately is like, don't bother lying. I know know you didn't do it. I didn't even Uh, write the letter. Virgin Humperdinck, you're a silly girl. (laughs) Chad Buttercup, yes, I am a a silly girl. Uh, She calls him a a coward with a heart full of fear and then he dramatically chases his sword and says... I would not say such a thing if I were you. She yeah, correctly fucking... reads him to filth, and get, she sh- he shows his true colors. She gives her true love speech, and the true love music plays. And she's like, yeah. you cannot track it, and you cannot break it. True love will always come through. And you're a coward. You're a slimy weakling. He just seems vaguely bemused. Uh, he locks her in her, ro- in her room, and then sp- sprints all the way to, 
the pit of despair to commit a murder. Yeah. Uh, he runs up. He like shouts at Wesley about true love. You're you you have true love, which is why I have to murder you right now. You're gonna suffer real bad. Uh, Rugen's like not to fifty because he he turns the 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 pain machine all the way up. Yeah. And nothing can uh, stop it. Wesley does a very long, blood-curdling scream that everyone in the country can apparently hear. Uh, Inigo calls it it the sound of ultimate suffering. Yeah. Uh, And correctly deduces from false premises that only one man could possibly make that noise, and it's the man in black. Uh, They threaten the the Abaino to tell them how to get to him. Fezzik, jog his memory. Uh, and my next note is a man has been hit a little too hard, so Inigo prays instead. <laughs> this is such a good scene. The fucking yeah. the sunlight in the background as he play, prays to the ghost of his father to guide his sword to uh, to get them their their his final revenge, so he can be at peace. Uh, it's it's a great scene. Love it. Love the hell out of it. Which, and I think we pointed out last time that I like it. It. Even better in the sense that, like, it doesn't work immediately. It's not like he stabs the secret knot. He thinks that he failed. And, like, then as he's, like, resting his head, like, well, crap, now what are we going to do? Coincidentally hits the secret knot. Yeah. He, he, found, he, found the, uh, he found the right tree with the, hel- with the sword dowsing. And, yeah. and then they, they go in. He, he leans on it defeated. It, the door opens and they go in. Scene 21, he's dead. Another <laughs> child interjection. Oh, uh, well, yeah. The grandson's like, wait, he can't be dead. What does that mean he's dead? He can't be dead. Uh, another child interjection. According to, uh, I, this is a note from a very long time ago. According to my mother, the ending of the book is a lot sadder, which the Who Kills Humberdink line reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. I'm not entirely sure why it reminded me of that, because... Like nobody, uh, like they say that nobody kills Cumberdink. Uh, nobody kills Cumberdink in the in the movie either. I don't actually know how the book ends. Uh I remember one detail that yeah. I'll, that we'll get to. Yeah, we'll I get to it. Up. I'll, I'll yeah, we can talk about that later. Maybe not right at the end because I still want to end on a high note. Yeah, yeah. They they get back into it and. Uh, uh, Inigo's like, have you any money? Uh, a little. And Inigo's like, I just hope it's enough to buy a miracle. Uh, new scene. Well, same scene. Continuation of Billy Crystal. Scene change. Billy Crystal is Miracle Max. Carol Kane is Valerie. A Spaniard played by a Jew meets a Jewish stereotype played by another Jew. Max. Uh, yeah. Max has a bunch of good lines in this. Billy Crystal's great. Uh, this is very comedically tight. Fundamentally, this movie is a, is about two guys doing bits together. In this in this part, the two guys are Max and Valerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. He only get he only gets the, he only gets them in the door in the first place because the guy's already dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, he's like, well, why do you even want to hire me? I got fired. For all you know, I could end up killing the guy that you want me to help. And he's like, oh, well, don't worry. Look, he's already uh, dead. <laughs> Oh, well, all right then. Well, how do I know that this guy just owes you money? Yeah, he's like, uh, 
they're they're in a rush. Let's see. He he's got he's he's like I have sixty five money. I never I, I never worked so little except once, and that was a very noble cause. And then Nigo like and, and poorly attempts to lie to him about what their noble cause is. And no, yeah, he's like, he's Nigo's a terrible liar. And then they they no. get the bellows to well then he actually tells the truth. And then Miracle well, Max well, says, no. First, we get the only mostly dead. Uh, he's only uh, mostly he, dead, not all dead. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Uh, yeah. Now, all dead. With all dead, there's only one thing you can do: go through his clothes <laughs> and look for loose change. Yeah. Which, yep, not wrong. But yeah, because um, Inigo first tells him that like his true love is being forced to marry a man that she doesn't like. Uh, Max says that that's obviously a lie so he tells him the rest of the the rest of the truth which is that we need his help to like get through an army of dudes or something like that i forget his, his exact wording and max is like well no Your first but no first he he like asks him he they do the thing where he asked him uh, max lies about the, the what he said being to blave when it was clearly yeah. true love yeah that's when max and valerie has have an argument where yeah, Inigo's face while Max is doing bitch is just completely stunned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Carol yells, uh, Valerie, I, I accidentally said the, the actress's name instead, Valerie yells Humperdinck at him. Humperdinck is a very funny word to be bullying someone with. Oh, yeah. That's right. yeah this, does. It, this correctly establishes that he hates that he hates Humperdinck a whole lot. Yep. Uh, and, he, and Inigo get, convinces him by saying, if you heal him, he will stop, Humperd- he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. I know, I love uh, it. He's Max, like, Wait. Max being motivated by petty spite is also very funny. It super is. He's like, that is a noble cause. Give me the 65, I'm on the job. <laughs> <laughs> and then these two idiots make, like, a big fucking pill that they then coat in chocolate. I don't fucking know. The chocolate makes it go down easier. Have fun serving in the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Well, on the bright side, they just sold them one. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. Uh, Carrie Ellis plays a mostly dead body very well. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does, though, is the thing. He, you're not wrong. We should probably argue, but at this point, it's like, you know what? You're not wrong, and it hurts to agree to that. Yeah, he probably should have done this trick in the first Saul movie. Yeah. He was sort of right out of that it, ankle cuff. Ha. Uh. Yeah. Uh, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. I love it. Like, yeah. Uh, Wesley asks a bunch of questions, and Ego says that, and then he provides a succinct summary of what exactly they're trying to do, which is, in a little less than half an hour, Buttercup marries Humperdinck. They have to get in there, uh, steal the princess, uh, steal the princess, mess up, mess up Humperdinck's wedding, and get out after they kill Count Rugen. Uh, with just the three of them, it's impossible. However, with the three of them, a wheelbarrow and a Holocaust cloak, it's doable. I know. Yeah, because there's, there's a whole bit about how, like, if only we had this thing. We have this. We have this thing. Why didn't you list that? If only we had this other thing. I can't help you. And then Fezzik just pulls the cloak out of his stuff, and he's like, <laughs> and they're like, how do you get that? Miracle Max gave it to me. All right. And then the physical comedy continues to be great with all the head moving. They shake on mm-hmm. it, and then they cut to the next scene. Scene 22, yeah. I do not marry tonight. 
Uh, my little muffin. Remind me to try that on my girlfriend. <laughs> what? <laughs> Humperdinck uses my little muffin as a term of endearment for Buttercup for some reason. Oh, fuck. Okay. It's, it's a little weird. Doesn't make it feel any better. Yeah, she is 200% confident that Wesley will save her from having to marry this guy. Uh, he smirks evilly when she's, well, she's not listening and ominous music plays. Our three castle raiders witness a bunch of guys standing around. They shake on the plan that they have prepared, and then the scene ends with no lines from them. Uh, scene 23. Whoa, twoo, whoa. Uh, the orchestral cathedral music straight into Mowage is good comedy. Yeah. For a second, I thought the king was supposed to be dead, but no, that didn't actually happen. That was in the nightmare. I know. I made that. I made that same mistake. <laughs> I do like the king, though. He's, he's. I mean, he's mostly out of it, but like he seems like he's a better guy than his son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the. the... The ceremony getting interrupted by the muffled panicking of the gate guards is pretty good. And we cut to outside, and we finally get to see what they needed a wheelbarrow and a cloak for. It's so good! Yeah. Uh, they wheel Fezzik pretending to be the Dread Pirate Roberts up towards the gate, and then set the cloak on fire at a dramatically appropriate time. Presumably the reason it's called a Holocaust cloak is you can, is you can set it on fire, and then the person inside will be fine, I guess? Probably 100% recycled asbestos. I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Humperdinck sends Rugen to go deal with it. Uh, Fezzik su- uh, successfully convinces the crowd he's going to extremely kill them with lines such as, The Dread Pirate Robert is here for- The Dread Pirate Roberts is here for your souls. So they bre- so they all break and run. Eventually, it's just the mini boss, the-, the guy with the red face from earlier. I think his name's Yellen. Is it? I don't know. Uh, the officiant keeps going on and on, so uh, some things like skip to the end, uh, they, they they pull out the ring, uh, the miniboss tries to close the, ga- close the gate, and Fezzik just holds and lifts it while it's closing. Humberdink admits to a murder because he says, your Wesley is dead. Yeah! I killed him <laughs> myself. Buttercup <laughs> fires back on an absolutely amazing line, which is, then why is there fear behind your eyes? Looking good. Uh, they, they, yeah, like, they, 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 like, threat. They, they, they gotta get. They try to get the gate key off of Yellen. God, I can't talk today. Uh, and he's like, I don't have a gate key. Niga's like, Fezzik, rip his arms off. Oh, this gate key. Fezzik, tear his arms off. And Yellen is like, Oh, you mean this gate key? Oh, here you go. The threat of being uh, Wookiee is quite a palpable threat. Yeah, Humper- Humperdinck goes crazy. Go- starts going like actually crazy, and he yells and just goes, "Man and wife say, man and wife." And the official just very calmly says, "Man and wife." Okay. And Humperdinck acts like this is this makes them married, and he runs yeah. off to secure her in the suite, and he he runs to like prepare. Uh, Buttercup is so sad because she mm-hmm. thinks they're married. Scene 24, my name is Inigo Montoya. Uh, also, uh, they, do some, they do some good sneaking. Oh, what, what were you saying here? To, re- to rewind the clock, uh, she does talk to the king for a little bit. I know, this she... hasn't happened yet. Oh. That hasn't happened yet. Sorry. Uh, oh. 
Rugen and his men find the three sneakers. He, uh, Rugen's like, kill the, kill the, kill the other two, but leave the, leave the, leave the third one for questioning. Uh, Inigo easily defeats them all and then says the line. Uh, he says the line, he stances up to fight, and then Rugen runs like a, he, Rugen acts like he's gonna fight and then runs like a bitch. Yup. Uh, Inigo sprints after him and then is that and is then genuinely anguished that the guy is escaping through a locked door. Which, yeah. Which Fezzik easily punches down once he gets there. Yeah, he does. Uh, Will it be gray as the king? Uh, they have a nice little chat. Uh, Buttercup kisses him. He's like, "What was that for?" Buttercup's like, "Because you, you've always been so nice to me, and I won't. You've always been so kind to me, and I won't be seeing you again since I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite." Uh, he absolutely does not. The king is completely oblivious. Bless him. He does not yeah, register does that not. was said at all. Uh, yeah, we get back to the chase between Nigo and Rugen. Yeah, he just says, "She kissed me." <laughs> he yeah. sure did, but. She sure did, buddy. Uh, uh, Rugen pulls his boot knife and gets an ego in the stomach. Oh no! Yeah, like you see him. You see him running. He gets to like I think like a staircase or something. And then while he has a little bit of extra time, he pulls a tiny dagger out of his boot. Yeah. Which is he fucking throws it at an ego from across the room, and he gets him right in the stomach. Yeah, which is another moment that on my first viewing I was not prepared for. I assumed he would just run in triumphantly and get to say the thing. No. And he says, sorry, father, I tried. Yeah. As he's Fuck. lying there against the wall. Uh, Rugen villains at an ego. He recognizes him finally. And then after, after this, we cut back to Buttercup. And I say the duality of small knives, because... Like, because Nigo just got a small knife in the gut, and Buttercup, Buttercup, like, takes out a small knife and is preparing to kill herself, like she said she would. Yep. It's got a whole, like, ornate case. It's got a whole, like, fancy case and everything. It's not ornate, because it's got, like, no gold or jewels. It's just very nice, well-worked wood. Want to say it's the same knife that Humperdinck was uh, sharpening earlier? Quite possibly. Okay. Uh, uh, And then my next note is, he said perfect breasts. Uh, yeah. Because Wesley is sitting on the bed behind her. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Uh, him doing equipment the perfect time to avoid a Romeo and Juliet situation is great. It is. She, she says, oh, yes. Wesley, you're alive. Yeah. Uh, they they kiss, and then she like pulls pulls him up to kiss her closer, and he's like, gently! Yeah. Scene 25, <laughs> prepare to die. Uh, uh. Uh, Rugen continues his villainous monologue. He pulls steel and prepares to stab Inigo, but Inigo perfectly parries all of his atta- all of his attacks and then gets back up. Yes, which I like, like the first, that. It's- the first two he just barely pushes aside with his sword. The third one he actually blocks overhand and then he stands up and starts saying the line over again. You can yeah, see him I- be filled with adrenaline in real time. You were saying? Yeah, I love that it's like a slow build and not just like him immediately like, aha, I am the hero, baba. Like we we watch him like yeah, yeah, like after he see after he sees the says the line the first time, he actually falls over against the table and then he gets himself back up again. Yeah, and yeah, and and you see and you see him like getting back on his game, and he skew uh, yeah he skewers 
uh, Rugen twice in the shoulders while yelling his catchphrase. Yeah, what's really what is a really good detail here is he inflicts five wounds total on Rugen, and they mirror all of the wounds that Rugen has given him. Oh, yeah, it's really uh, interesting. In one shoulder and in one forearm, and stabs Rugen in those same spots. He gives Rugen the same heat cut, and then yeah, his final attack on him is a stab to the gut. Okay, but uh, let's back up a little bit before he gives him the lines of the cheek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this part is really, really good. Uh, oh, he, back- he says the line, he backs him up against a wall. And then he cuts him once on the cheek. And he's like, offer me money. Uh, power, too. Promise me that. And he gives him another cut. And, uh, and he does. And uh, Nico says, offer me everything I ask for. Rugen says anything you want, and then Rugen and then Inigo stabs him right in the gut and says, "I want my father back, you son of a bitch." Which good line, incredible delivery! Holy shit! Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is so good. He pulls the sword out and he kicks him back against the wall, and he falls down completely dead. Yup. Yeah, he stabs him. He stabs him. Uh, I think in the heart. Slight. I think slightly higher than Inigo got stabbed. Before Probably delivering the line, and then twists the knife after he does. He kicks him backward, yeah. he falls down completely down on the floor, and Nico just kind of walks it off. Scene 26, to the pain. Oh my god, another fucking... This is a good fucking monologue right here. Wesley's line is hard to follow, but very funny. It's, what hideous sin have you committed lately? When Buttercup yeah. is trying to admit that she married Humperdinck. And then uh, Wesley points out that she didn't marry Humperdinck uh, because she never said, I do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, this is a very cute exchange interrupted by Wesley sudden, suddenly directing a quip at Humperdinck, who is standing behind them. Uh, uh, Humperdinck draws steel and, and charges him to, to a duel to a death, and Wesley's like, no, to the pain. And I say, God, the whole, to, the whole to the pain monologue is so good. He's also insulting him constantly. Uh, the first one is, you, war- you warthog-faced buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing about the to the pain in speech is that you can kind of tell when he pauses, he's trying to think of more stuff to say to buy him time. Yeah, because yeah. th- this is him, like, doing the speech in real uh, But, yeah, Humperdinck tries to just get it over with, but Wesley interrupts him to keep monologuing. And then my ears understand, let's get on with it. Wrong! Motherfucker, MF hit him with the dying rampa, no, that's wrong. Because he's like, I'm going to leave your ears alone so that every so that you can hear everyone talking about how hideous and hideously mutilated you are, wallowing in freakish misery forever. The slow zoom on on his face at the end of the speech is very good. Uh, The whole scene being a complete bluff just makes it better. And Humberdinck's like, "Is you could be bluffing," and then uh, Wesley is like. You're right. I could be bluffing. Insult, insult, insult. I, uh, I could, I, I could be saying this because I don't have the strength to stand. But it's possible that I do have the strength after all. And then he, and then he gets up. He gets up and he, and he looks him in the eye and he points his sword at him and he says, "Drop your sword." And Humperdinck immediately surrenders. Oh my god! Because Humperdinck has completely failed to call his bluff. Yeah, and once uh, Humperdinck is fully tied up, this is when... Yeah, there's an extremely the... strange noise. Yeah, he has just his greatest enemy by monologuing for a while, repeatedly insulting him, and then standing up meaningfully. 
There's an extremely strange noise as right as Wesley says, make it as tight as you like, while Inigo is on screen, while Buttercup is tying him up. Uh, as soon as he finds out Wesley was bluffing, Humpton gets all comforting and tries to make a move, only to have Inigo threaten to skewer him. And yeah, they spare like, Humpton specifically so that he can feel bad about his all his plans failing forever. Uh, anyway, well, you were saying, saying something? He's like, aha, I knew you were bluffing. And it's like, yeah, well, you still fell for it, though. Yeah, and now Inigo is here, who is not bluffing and who could absolutely kill you. Yeah, exactly. Scene 27. Hello, lady. Uh, Fezzik yeah. returns with several haunts. Uh, they have okay. a nice chat. If, if, and he goes like, Fezzik, you do something right. And before that, he's like, hello, lady. And she does a little wave back at him. Which, this is the uh, first time that they can... Well, no, wait, it's not the first time they're meeting. It's the first time this they're meeting. It's the first since... time they're interacting in yeah. any way, because uh, she mostly just chats with... Uh, Vizini, and I think very occasionally in a go, other than the boat. Yeah, but okay, so real quick, since we wanted to end on still a higher note, the, I will go ahead and interrupt for the main difference that I remember uh, Veer mentioning from the book last time, which is that Inigo does die. Well, or at least it's implied to, if I remember right. His wounds reopen. That was it, yeah, 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 that's it. His wounds reopen as they're riding off. And also... Bezix is apparently leading them in the long direct direction by accident. <laughs> That's fair, though. And Humperdinck's men are hot on the trail. Yeah. Dang. So it's like, all of this, and then it, I guess, kind of implies that, no, they actually don't get away with it. Yeah. And also, since it's a decent place, he's in the book, the person who takes up the mantle of Dread, Ro- Dread Pirate Roberts after Wesley is a guy named Pierre. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Well, anyway, I'm going, I, I, I haven't gotten that in the movie yet. Uh, yeah. Buttercup escapes via window and Fezzik catches her. It's a, it's a nice scene. Uh, Wesley's already said earlier, so he's going to retire. Uh, Inigo's like, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what to do with myself now that it's done. And uh, Wesley offers to pass the mantle of Dread Pirate Roberts onto him. Which is, which yeah. I like. I think that's good. He's just, have you considered piracy? He, he does. He does say, have you ever considered piracy? And then he goes oh. like, you know what? Huh. I do have a fun fact here about Ooh. Andre with his back problems. So, you know, when Buttercup jumps out from Rindo into Frederick's arms? Oh, yeah. Well, she did have to jump, but only from like a foot or two. And they had Andre leaning back on a board, so that's right. The board would take for pressure most of oh, the rate. Oh, if okay. you look closely during that scene, you can see the board that he's leaning on. Oh, huh. Uh, anyway, another fun fact about Andre in that scene: uh, he's played by a stunt double in part of it because he was too heavy for the horse to carry. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, Fezzik here briefly was played by Sun Double because Andre Rusimov would not fit on the haunts. These are some good wide shots. Scene 28, it's kissing again. <laughs> uh, it is revealed that, uh, the kid is wearing a Bears t-shirt and there's a Cubs banner in the background. Let's go Bears, baby, love the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Yeah, a good ending. Let's go. Uh, he looks even more Columbo when he's wearing the suit and hat. Yeah, uh, the kid also pl- pulls the one more thing on him. He's like, Grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. 
and he hits the kid with the as you wish. Mm-hmm. Which is the only scene not shot right. in in England because they wanted mm-hmm. to do, redo that one line. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, credits roll in a very good movie. In loving memory of Dale Rogers, who I loved very much. Yeah. 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 Also, so apparently in later versions of the book, specifically the 25th anniversary edition, there's an epilogue that mentions a sequel called Buttercup's Baby. Huh? Which I'll just read the Wikipedia part. Okay. The epilogue looked to some later editions of the novel. No, we believe the 25th anniversary edition mentions a sequel, Buttercup's Baby. That was having trouble getting published because legal difficulties with S. Morgenstern's estate. Later editions actually reprint in Goldman's sample chapter, which actually consists of a disordered assembly the uh, stories about the Quartet's escape to One Tree Island and the eventual kidnapping of Raverly. Reggie's and Buttercup's daughter by a skinless faced madman who eventually throws her off of a mountainside, which after it ends with physics, Reverie's appointed babysitter leaping off the mountain to save her, and then cratering her to preserve her from the impact that seems certain to spell at least Fidrick's doom. Also, note Rovi is a flashback to Indigo's past, his training as a swordsman, and his one-time romantic growth interests. The chapter also continues for all of his exclusive footnotes after he he is outraged to learn that the frequently protective Morganstone estate had finally learned it to the abridgment of Buttercup's baby. He done not by Goldman, but by author Stephen King. The footnote oh, detailed Goldman's visit visit to the fictional nation of Fallen, which houses a popular museum devoted to the real story of the Princess Bride, and containing such artifacts as Indigo's six-fingered sword. The 30th anniversary edition of the Princess Bride included hints to the sequel's products, and a promise is to have a full version completed before the 50th anniversary edition, which would be this year, 2023. In January, the 2007 interview, Goldman admitted he was having difficulties coming up with ideas for the story. MPM, I hear you're working on a sequel to The Princess Bride called Buttercup's Baby, William Gold- Goldman. I desperately want to write it, and I sit there, and nothing happens, and I get pissed at myself. I got lucky with The Princess Bride the first time. I'd love to get lucky again. Goldman died in 2018 without completing the sequel. Dang. Darn. Dang. Dang. Stephen King should finish the story then. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, reminds me of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the end of the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You guys, mm-hmm. have, do you guys know anything about Hitchhikers? I have read the Douglas Adams books. I 
have forgotten to read the one that you want to call for did. Yes, it, yeah, it was it, the final book was written after Douglas Adams' death by Ian Culfer. Ian Culfer. Uh, yeah. I liked the Artemis Fowl books. I was not altogether a fan of an and another thing. Nah, mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. I know it's okay. It it doesn't really live up to the previous books in the series, especially Mostly Harmless. Mostly Harmless was delightfully strange in yeah. a lot of ways that I don't think and another thing captured. And I remember my father years and years ago got me somehow a PDF of unreleased chapters of a bunch of Douglas Adams stuff. And I treasured it so much. It was several laptops ago. I don't know if, if he even still has it or where he would find it, but it was great. It contained, I believe some bits of the salmon of doubt, which was the, uh, the 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 compilation of all of his remaining notes that was released after his death, which is yeah. the alternative final Hitchhiker's book. Yeah, I know something similar happened with the writer of the For Real Time because he died before he could finish this that book series. So Brandon Sanderson was hired, I think, by his son or wife to finish the. Like take his notes for the last couple of books and just finish the book series, which also Terry Good Good Time was also just being a dick around this whole thing. I mean, he's always oh. a dick, but he was being an extra dick, which when the writer of Real Time was still alive, like he couldn't go to a con because of like the heart issues that he had. Which Terry Goodkind read and talked about how good his heart was, and that in his eyes made him the better writer. The fuck? Uh-huh. Yeah. What? Yeah. Also, if you no one knows, incomprehensible. For those who don't know who Terry Goodkind is, he's the guy who wrote Fariz's Apprentice, which is the first book of his book series, but is also credited as his best book. But that's unfortunate. Which people also say it's still bad. <laughs> also, another Terry Goodkind fact: he claims to only read his own books. Yeah, I'm looking What's at his media and that fact. Oh, what are you about to say? Uh, I cannot find him online. I looked it up, and I am not finding it. I, I don't particularly care to, but like still. Yeah. I found yeah. I found it T E R R R Y Goodkind. G O O D K I N D. Yeah. Alright, found him. He looks He's an objectivist? Like... <laughs> oh. It's the Wizard's first rule. Yes, Wizard's first rule, cool. The Wizard Printers. I think I was mixing it up with The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The most money mo- ever paid for a fantasy novel by a first-time author. God. Hmm. Cool. Anyway, he's an asshole, so... Yeah. He looks yeah. like a magician. Yeah. I know he got a scuffle with uh, artists of one of his books covers, which... Like, he dedicated one of his books to the United States intelligence community. <laughs> uh, that being like the FBI, CIA. Uh huh. 
Oh, that's tasteful. That's- okay, no, uh, specifically, the, the United States intelligence community contains the following agencies. Office of Naval Intelligence, Coast Guard Intelligence, Bureau of Intelligence and Research, Central Intelligence Agency, 16th Air Force, National Security Agency slash Central Security Service, National Reconnaissance Office, Defense Intelligence Agency, Military Intelligence Corps, Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence, Marine Corps Intelligence, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Office of Intelligence and Analysis, Intelligence Branch, Office of National Security Intelligence, Office of Intelligence and Analysis, and National Space Intelligence Center. The last sure. five of which did not exist at the time that that book was dedicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only time that I can think of that a branch of the U.S. military had been given a special thanks in a book was possibly a Skyward by Brandon Sanderson, and that was purely because I mean, of research. And I think he actually just credited the actual people that he had advising him on like dog fighting. Okay, yeah. Tom Clancy? I'm pretty sure he like was in good with the with the American government. Uh, yeah, he might have Tom Clancy might have gave special thanks to military branches. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> the only thing I know about the NRO is the Dan Brown novel where they're the villain. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh. It's called Deception Point and it's still terrible. But it's the one that I have, but that I personally have the fewest problems with, because like I, I used to, because like the physics involved in the uh, some in uh, I believe it was either Inferno or Angels and Demons uh, is personally offensive to me, and the computer science in his in uh, which one in whichever one it was uh, in Digital Fortress was incredibly offensive to me. Personally, yay. Uh, also, going back to the Princess Bride fun facts, the seventh King Crest game, the Princess Bride was obviously parodying, well, doing a pun of Princess Bride for the game's name, which I think there's also a slight controversy because they had an original song. And get it that they wanted to get like really popular, so they was like encouraging people to call into radio stations to request the song. And it just ended up where basically every radio station just banned the song. Which song? Um, is a song that I believe is a King's Crest game song. I'm pretty sure it's the Princess Bride. Huh. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, at one point of the game, I think one of the player characters like starts singing. And that's the song that the developers want to get on the radio. No. Wild. Wild. Yeah. Now I guess that's the end of the review part. It is. Let's ju- let's just go straight into questions. Um, yeah. Do we, we have time to go straight into questions? Or are we going to re- sure. record questions uh, another day like we usually do? I'm good to keep going if y'all are. Yeah. JoJo? Uh, just go use the bathroom real quick. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's all take uh, a break real quick. All right, yeah. We'll see you uh, in questions in... Actually, if they were two different recordings, shouldn't we still have the old questions? 
No, because it did the same thing with uh, destroying my audio, and I think yours too on the questions. I know it did mine. And we also have new questions to add, too. We do have a couple new questions. I remember going on a very long tangent about the Princess Bride and Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to recreate. I don't know if I'll be able to recreate that tangent. (laughs) I mean, fair. We create a whole new tangent with the whole Saw series, so I mean, we got that. A whole new tangent. (laughs) You're welcome. My question live would be, which one of the characters from Princess Bride would survive the easiest in one of the uh, saw traps? I mean... Oh, of course. <laughs> Vizzini thinks that it's him, but it absolutely would not be. <laughs> he would be the first. Yeah, Vizzini would be the first to die in the saw trap. For obvious mistakes and arrogance. Yep. I want to say Fezzik just because he's strong and big. Fezzik or or Wesley, I think, because Wesley's very clever. Yeah. Buttercup, unfortunately, is not characterized as being particularly good at escaping saw traps. I want to say she'd escape (laughs) on pure luck. Just something broke and she's able to crawl out. That Mm. is... Excuse me. Also, I hope that uh, my crunching throughout this episode wasn't too bad. I've literally been sitting here just rolling my... Fine with a really intense crunchiness. That's what noise gates are for. Yeah. Gotta love the changing seasons. Yeah, it's the best. It gets colder outside and our backs and knees get louder. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Yardy. (laughs) (laughs) He was dozing off and that that weird yawn slash laugh that I did woke him up enough to... Also, I got pinged at just the right time because I just beat Dragon Age Inquisition. Nice. It was the last game that I have that I have not beaten yet. Time to buy some new games. I think I might. (laughs) Well, Actually, no, that's a lie. I haven't beat Doom Eternal on the Switch, and you can't beat Warframe because there is no endgame. That's fair. Yeah, you beat Warframe when you get to endgame, and then you give up. <laughs> For real. And if you want to keep playing, it's only fashion frame. Alright. Veer, I think I heard is back. So Yes, Veer is Veer is return. Uh starting with the first set of questions. We the first one was Yusuf, aka he did what in his cup? <laughs> How well do you think Andre the Giant would transfer into Kingdom Hearts? I think he would work pretty well. Um, yeah. He would he would work great. The three of them are basically just Sora Donald and Goofy anyway. They really are, though, is the thing. Mm-hmm. I think you could. I think you could have a very good uh, Princess Bride world in a Kingdom Hearts, where uh, Fezzik and, e- and Inigo are like mini bosses that you beat up on your first time through, and then Fezzik is like a full boss. That like, I think what we originally said in the Lost episode is that like the Men in Black and Fezzik would be doing their uh, duel, and you have to hold out against a swarm of Heartless or one big one. Long enough for yeah. him to pull the whole yeah. door. Well, that was with the right. uh, conversation yeah. between the Men in Black and uh, uh, Inconceivable Man. Yeah, Vizini. Yeah. Vizini, yeah. yeah. You have to hold out until the speech is over. Yeah, you have to hold <laughs> out until the speech is over. audio from the movie. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, and then the, the final boss is Humperdinck, who like, summons a big heartless and then runs away like a coward when he's defeated. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, they'll find it find some excuse to like take your companions from you so that they try, uh, chase after them and you fight the heartless by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I I think it would be a good world. I think it would be cool. I think it would work. Keyblade afterwards would be cool looking. Yeah. And even if it wasn't like grilled and they was doing like the Final Fantasy character tactic of just plopping them in a world, I yeah. think it would still work. Yeah, it would be good. Now I'm wondering mm. what sort of dis what sort of actual Disney world they would go well in. Olympus Coliseum. Olympus Coliseum would work. Um, Tangled or something else along those lines would probably work. I think they mm-hmm. I think they could do all right in Beauty and the Beast. Like not great, yeah. but all right. Yeah. Indie yeah. Ages were like, Yeah, all right. Why is this candle Sandaria talking to me? <laughs> yep, yeah, fair enough. Uh, next next question. What stories do you want to tell your grandkids? Uh this one, Homestuck. Uh Yeah. <laughs> and this question is from Deep Sea. Yeah. This is this question is from Deep Sea. This one, Homestuck, uh I'm having trouble thinking of them. Now, there's this one joke that my father told me a while ago that was very long. I don't think I could tell it now. Nah. There's a joke that I saw that I heard on, on a live stream recently that was very good and not quite as long, but still pretty long. I, I could tell that, but I think maybe later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair. I want to tell the uh, lore of Bloodborne to my kid and just say that was actually London back in like the 1600s and make it as believable as possible. You know, I'm pretty oh. sure you said Bloodborne the last time. You God, might I think have I did too. Yeah. Uh-huh. It would still be funny yeah, as heck. I would say Kingdom Hearts, but it will probably still be an ongoing series when my grandkids are around. Oh, yeah. I want to, like, bequeath, like, like, a copy of Super Lesbian Animal RPG that I burned onto a CD onto, like, my, I don't know, nephew. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Thinking about it now, there's one fairy tale that I probably share that I can't remember the name of, but I can remember the stuff that happens in it. Basically, it's one of the typical, like, there's three princes, and they each have to get, take turns going on this crest. But the two oldest ones just don't come back, so the third one and the youngest just has to go out. But he gets help by a fox talking fox, who's basically like, hey, there's a town, but don't stay in the nice inn, go to the rundown inn. <laughs> I told your brother, your oldest brother, and he didn't listen to me. And oh, now he's forever not- trapped in the good end. And the, it's basically stuff like that. Like, basically, the same brother went to the bad end because it, like, again, it's like trials, but each brother didn't do the right thing until the third brother comes around. He just stopped, kept listening to the fox. This does sound familiar. But Eventually, once the crest is completed, the fox is like, "Okay, now shoot me." Which the princess is like, "But, but you're my friend." <laughs> yes, I am cursed, so you must shoot me. And it's like, "Okay," and he shoots the fox, and the fox turns into a handsome prince. Hmm. I don't know. Sadly, I don't really know what's going on here. Sadly, the fairy tale isn't gay. Damn. That's just incorrect. Yeah, the, the bird prince and the fox prince should, should have kissed at the end. 
Exactly. Which would be the detail that I will add <laughs> if I can ever find a full story again. If I ever get a collection of grim fairy tales, I'll probably be able to find it. But yeah. Also from Deep Sea, read any good children's books lately? No. <laughs> I have um, not. Not recently. I read my little. I read all of an incredibly long My Little Pony fan fiction recently. Nice. I don't think that counts. Uh, depending yeah, on what you count uh, as a kid's story. I have so, yeah. been remembering some children's stories that I have read recently. Uh, oh. I read The Inheritance Cycle. Inheritance Cycle is pretty good. It's a little derivative, but it's pretty good. Uh, Warrior Cats is amazing. Warrior Cats, I have drawn several analogies between Warrior Cats and Homestuck. If you want to understand them, read Warrior Cats. Nice. I reread a couple of the uh, Frog and Toad books just because I found them online. I was like, you know what? Childhood. <laughs> fuck, I'm, I'm remembering the existence of a book that I read, and I don't don't recall offhand what it's called. I'm going to have to go look at my various servers that I'm in to find the one where it was brought up. You guys can go ahead while I remember um, that. I am currently... Well, this depends on what you count as a kid's story. The, um, I'm currently reading Cordesher by Nathan Lowell, which is basically the what if Treasure Planet was more sci-fi, but still had like the solar cells, and was strictly just the whole living on a boat situation. Okay, so books that I have remembered existed. Uh, y'all, y'all, y'all know about Maximum Ride? Oh yeah, yeah. I had a friend uh, in high school who's into that series, but yeah, I manga, the, yeah, it's good. How they, yeah, the manga version of Fang looks just like um, what was his name from D. Grayman, the Sword Guy? Huh. In March 2023, Patterson's Maximum Ride series were banned from two elementary school libraries in Florida's Martin County School District and placed in their middle school libraries. Patterson criticized the move, calling it a borderline absurd decision. He encouraged readers to send a polite note to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in response to legislation passed to seek community input on school library materials. Huh. Huh. Uh, but yes, those the fir- at, at the very least, the first books of those are good. Uh, the Last Dragon Chronicles. Last Dragon Chronicles is good. Um, I, was, I was only kind of sort of into them, but as far as I can tell, my other my older brother really likes them. I'm not going to go into this. I've already gone into this on another Discord, and I'm not going into it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dragon Rider is a book from 1997 by Cornelia Funk. It is ama- It is really good. It's not like any modern sci- uh, like fantasy that I know of. It's very interesting. That one and, book I want to get back into. And yeah, those those children's books. Those are some ones that I like. I've listed several now. Jojo, what were you going to say? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say I was I've, no one uh, book I was going to want to get back into soon if I can uh, steal it from Cat for a little while. The uh, the Tagarung. Uh, Yo, Tagarung! I read Tagarung. Oh man, the Redwall books. I can't believe I forgot to mention the Redwall books. Uh, I read I, it back in school, and I want to read it again. I had a copy of, I don't know if I had a copy of the original Redwell, but I had a copy of Mossflower, and I had a copy of Matimio, and I read both of them several times. Those are both very good, Mossflower and Matimio, along with the original Redwall. I'm going to have to find those as well. 
Tagarung, I remember reading Tagarung. It was it was pretty nice. Back when I was in school, like yeah. I didn't realize like it was gonna be as dark as it was because it was in my it was in the bookshelf for like second graders. So it was a little out of place for children of that age, but still darn good book. Oh. Uh, another children's book that I that I used to like a, a whole lot, the Artemis Fowl series, which I briefly mentioned a yeah. bit ago. Uh, My sibling read those, and I I got to reading the first one, but never got to finish it. But it was good. Okay. I liked it. So, so here is a major spoiler for the end of the Artemis Fowl series, the end of the eighth oh. book. Eight, uh, that had eight books? Yeah, it has eight books. I read, like, the first three or four, assumed it was over because that one in. Because it ended with Artemis getting a mind wipe. And I then, believe it's the third one that ends with Artemis getting mind wiped. Uh, the the <laughs> series does not end there. Good lord. Uh, there are eight of them. <laughs> Holy shit. Anyway. there's still better books than Harry Potter. Uh, major spoilers for the last, for the ending of the last book. Uh, skip ahead, like, I don't know, 30 seconds or maybe more if you don't want to hear it. Uh... The very last line of the last book is, in quotes, the first line of the first book. What? Because it's Uh, someone telling him, because Artemis has, like, forgotten everything about himself due to a plot contrivance, and his love interest is literally reading the story of his life back to him. Oh my god, that's... Wait, he gets wiped again? Don't question it. I always like when it turns out that like something was ju- was diegetic the whole time. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, I do. This is not a children's series, so I'm not recommending it as one of these. And also, it's super heavy. So if you look into it and decide it's not for you, absolutely fair. But spoilers for Oyasumi Poon Poon or Goodnight Poon Poon. Is that it does the same thing. Um, toward the end, like over the course of it, a friend of his grows up and becomes a mangaka. And the basically, the end of the series has the two of them like reconnect after like not seeing each other for a few years. Poon Poon tells them about his life, and they're like, you know what? I said, you're people need to know your story. I'm gonna make a manga of it. And like, the like payoff being that that's the manga you just read. Oh, here's a, uh, here's one of the few good uh, dystopian fiction novels series that is go- that are good. It's called Uglies. It's from huh. 2005. I think I, I, I personally liked it. Uh, anyway, here's another story that does the it was the story was being told by a character uh, the entire time is the last book of the Mortal Engine series. Yeah, they do that. I've never read Mortal Engines. It's apparently quite good. Oh fuck. I keep talking about books and then remembering books that I read that are vaguely similar that are good. Uh, Embers. <laughs> uh, City of Ember. Yes, City of Ember. Uh, I saw yeah. the movie. It was uh, all right. Not as not as good as it could have been. Uh, I read the first three books. I think it's a four-book series. Yeah, I don't think I ever read the fourth book. I knew about it, but I don't think I ever read it. Another book for that pile, The, um, the Mist by Stephen King. At the very end, you're just like, you gotta be kidding me on this one. Really? Um, The Outsiders, I honestly does that, but I haven't read that since, like, eighth grade. Uh, I'm derailing the things, but going back to Maximum Ride and D. Gray Man, um, yeah, 
looked up pictures of Yukanda and Fang from the Maximum Ride manga. Because I remember the whole thing was that they look almost identical. And it's looking at them side by side. Yeah, it's just the hair. They both have the whole samurai ponytail deal. Anime ponytail deal. I mean, that's fair. Side things. Huh. But, yeah. Um, uh, to throw in another kid's book that's somewhat modern, um, Cinnamon Bun by Ravenstagger is a fun, wholesome little adventure fantasy series about a girl named Brocky Bunch who's sent to the magical rail to dirt. What? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rich. Pharrell gives her the crest of, like, stopping a magical corruption from infecting Pharrell, but she kind of just wants to go around going on adventures and making friends. I mean, she sometimes does the crest when she comes across a dungeon that's infected, but it's kind of just a, you know, it's more important to do adventures than making friends. Basically, imagine Luffy but replace being a pirate of just making friends. I mean, that is kind of the series already. Uh-huh. But instead of, also, instead of being in, made out of rubber, wow. she has the power of creaming magic, which is technically not that useful well, in most cases. However, in the case of removing the cr- magical corruption that's infecting Varel's dungeons. You know what? The... Huh? <laughs> I was just going to say, you know what? Yeah, it works. Yeah. Because, you know, cleanliness is close to godliness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've been messing around on Google looking for fairy tales because the one that you talked about earlier sounded really familiar. It is called The Golden Bird, and it is one from the Brothers Germ collection. Okay. I think I've read that one. Yeah, I feel like I probably did too. Yeah. It sounded familiar. I just I couldn't put my finger on it's like, oh yeah, I don't think I came across that one. I had a one of those well, uh Grimm's fairy tale collections. Well to be fair, the setup and the kind of structure of it is very similar to countless other fairy tales. I mean also, yeah, it's true. But yeah. Are there any other questions? <laughs> anyway, from yes. Aurora of Unusual Size. Great name. What stuff in, is in your 90s kids movie, The Bedroom? Uh, I wasn't alive in the 90s. Probably like an, S- an SNES and a bunch of, and a huge pile of games. Mm-hmm. Rude, but also fair. Um. <laughs> My 90s kid bedroom had SpongeBob all over the place. Hell a yeah. giant uh, red and yellow teddy bear I named Ralph. I missed that nice. one so bad. It's as big as I was. And a Nintendo, uh, I think it was a SNES, or it was like the next level up, the the black one that you stuck the cartridges in the top of it, playing mm-hmm. a Star Wars uh, racing game. Nice. Oh, pod racing. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, in my 90s room, I had a toy box. Filled with random toys, obviously. 
One of those of was a Jurassic Park themed um, rock and sock and robots where it had dinosaurs fighting. And I swear to God, sometimes it would just start growling in the middle of the night. Scared the shit out of me. I also had, I had a Furby. that too, and it does. Yeah, see? Um, I also had a Furby that also scared the shit out of me for Furby related reasons. But because the one that they were sentient. Is, yeah, exactly. The one that didn't scare me is that I had a Nickelodeon clock radio that was, if you, my mom still has it at her house. I'll see if I can get a picture of it at, or the next time I'm over there, if I remember. It is the most 90s looking thing in the world. Like, it turns on with this, bi- this big red button that you slap to make it do anything. It'll only stay on for like an hour because it's made to be in a kid's room. Um, did I mention did I mention the Dark Tower board game when we first recorded this episode, or was that in a different episode? I do not know. I that was don't a different think episode. you mentioned it. Um, <clears throat> oh, but the light on it is like a big fucking zigzag electricity looking thing that's just painted green. <laughs> and Ooh, it was nineties. It had a bunch of stupid sound effects that I could do as like alarm sounds. My brother and I both had one and would fucking prank each other by sneaking into the other's room and setting alarms for, like, random times. Huh. Um, so. It was good. But yeah, the N64 was the black one with the cartridges on the top. That was after the SNES. Also, I was yep. really into, like, rocks and minerals when I was younger, so I'd probably have, like, a rock collection. Ooh, that is also I feel good. that one. Um... I guess technically I didn't have a 90s child bedroom. (laughs) So I'll just make one up. Um, Because, for anyone wondering, I didn't have one because the house that my family lived in was technically unfinished at the time. Exposure drywall. Damn, all right. So, my, like, there's walls. You could have just put a bed in there and called it a room because it the walls was just not painted and the floor's technically was not placed down. Ah, uh, okay. But it was livable. It was just that again, technically it was unfinished. Okay. So my parents just had my brother and I sleep in the same bed as them. That's fair. But I guess to make up a child's children's bedroom for the nineties, um, Race car bed. Hell yeah. Um, Super Nintendo or Nintendo 64 if it's later. And uh, I don't know, Jurassic Park toys or dinosaur toys. Lots of Lincoln yeah, logs. Uh, anyway, also, uh, next question. Can you be trusted when... De- oh, are you still going? Sorry. Uh, the... Next question, also from Aurora. Yes, Aurora next question, Rad- also from Aurora Rats of unusual, Aurora Rodents of unusual size, even. Can you be trusted when death is on the line? I think we all agree that we would just panic. Uh, yeah, I agree that I would panic and break. Uh-huh. Yep, same. I, I, I think same. that I would do my best. I think I could be trusted. I don't think I would be any good. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think for me, it was like, if it did involve reading... Maybe, but if involved reading, my ability to read is the first thing to go under stress. That's all of us. 
Physical strength, sure. When it comes to using the brain, yeah, good luck. <laughs> you have better luck with a potato. Deepsea mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, asks... Deepsea oh. asks, who is your favorite character from this film? Probably Nigo. He's really good. He is really, yeah. really good. I love Nigo. Max is yeah, also really good. I like Max. Or, him or Wesley, because I'm basic. <laughs> Max I mean, is Wesley, really good. I like I like I like Max. Mm-hmm. I like Max is good. Moreover, loyal and big. My favorite character is the captain of the guard who shows up in two scenes. <laughs> His name is like yelling you're in, or something. You do your job and you're out. Because he's yelling. He loves to yell. Uh-huh. His name's yelling. Anyway, <laughs> he, uh, he also uh, asked. Yes, Deepsea also asks, uh, what would you say the main theme and lesson is from Princess Bride? Uh, True love is real. This one is, what's the best line from from this film? Uh, What's the best line? Sorry, what's the best line? Uh, You killed my father, prepare to die. Mm -hmm. That's an obvious one. I want Um, my father, a bitch is really good. Yeah, you killed my father, uh, give me my father back, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that one's good. You see why you stand up guy, I would hate to kill you. You seem like you seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Mm-hmm. I forgot her line, but it was or Wesley's line. Um, whenever uh, Buttercup is about to kill herself, and he retorts against that. There is a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. Yes, that one. Okay, now DC asks, what would you say the main theme and lesson is from the, the Princess Bride? I mean, true love conquers all. Yep, yeah, I love this real and, and is conquers all. Yeah. Now, the lesson from the book is that life isn't fair, which is... That's a yeah, that's what he says otherwise is selling something. Yeah. I like the movie better. Yeah, that's why people say the movie's better than the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The book just sort of killed everything. It, like, killed the whole vibe at the end. Uh-huh. Didn't it, though? Yeah. But, yeah. But we see this through Indigo's true love for his father, who leads him yeah. to eventually getting revenge. Let's see. And also, and the true Buttercup. love between the between the grandfather and the and the grandson in yeah. real life. True love doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but it could also be a bond between two people, family or friend, and how strong mm-hmm. that could be, and how loyalty is affected through that kind of bond. Yeah. I am inches away from going off on a tangent about homeschool quadrants. <laughs> you no. hold back on that. We have a whole podcast just for that. We have it's a okay. whole podcast just for homestuck. When we get to quadrants, I am going to go the fuck off. Do it. I, promise do, you I will that. do my best to keep up. I am still uh, struggling over here, man. You see, I also like- ask, Princess versus Bride, who wins? Uh, I think the princess. <laughs> Yeah, you can actually text this in Terraria because the princess is a friendly NPC and the bride is a type of zombie. I'm pretty sure the princess would win. I am so glad Um, you brought that up. I was was just a second away from doing that. Yeah, it's my favorite video game, Terrariums. (laughs) (laughs) So have y'all heard of, like, Wedding Army? Wedding Army? Uh Uh-huh. Like yeah, instead of writing a wedding dress, like instead of writing a 
there were like paragraphs and paragraphs of what wedding armor the entire cast of Doki Doki Literature Club would wear. Uh, ooh, Damn, I, all right. I think it is like that slash lesbians with swords wedding that I will put oh, the money on the bride. Is between two is between two women. Uh huh. It, it's the bumblebee wedding. Yeah, like if it's. I'm just saying, in that situation, I would put money on the bride ring against the princess because the bride has a sword. Oh, yeah, yeah and a suit of armor. But the princess is has Sailor, an army. Is Sailor Moon a princess? She is. To okay, bring this back from the. If Sailor Moon was at the wedding, I think she would win. Easily. Come That's on. True. She is. In the fan fiction that I'm talking of, Sailor Moon attends the wedding. Actually, there's a whole <laughs> plot with. Uh, Sailor Venus, Sailor Venus, uh, getting into like a a dance battle with uh, Monica Doki Doki Literature Club over her crimes against love. What? <laughs> what? Uh, uh, to bring something back from the lost episode, um, yeah. Prince, well, Buttercup's wedding dress looks very similar to Sailor Moon's, like yeah, it does. Like a dress, this uh, Sailor Moon wears. Most yep. likely convenient, just coincidence, but eh, maybe it's used on purpose. I don't know. I mean, they are still, huh. they are both kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's fair. That, a fancy dress or a fancy white gown with, um, like, gold accent. But, yeah. Aurora, Aurora Rats of Unusual Size asks, do capybaras count as R-O-U-S's? Yes, they're rodents and they're unusual and they really are sized. Yeah, <laughs> they're the cool ones. They truly are five. Yeah, they're, they're the of unusual size of the RUSs. Mm-hmm. They are. Their size is unusual rodents. Uh, Deep Sea asks, "Are seagulls RUSs?" They're the airborne. They're the airborne rodents <laughs> of unusual size. Airborne rodent. You could make that argument. Uh, I, I mean, I they're not think they're... that unusual size, though. That's true. I would, I would prefer big. to think that they're, that they're actually small dinosaurs, because they are. They're the yes, small dinosaurs yes. of usual size. Yes, birds are dinosaurs. Birds yeah. are dinosaurs. Also, they're the, they're the SMOUS is, uh, they're the SDOUS is small dinosaurs of usual size. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, up to um, Aurora's, to lend credence to capybaras are rodents of unusual size, I googled Rodents of unusual size one time, and like one of the first results was some article talking about capybaras. So, okay, I've just searched it up on DuckDuckGo. Uh, my first result was a documentary about swamp rats. Oh, Nutria, what? yeah, yeah, Nutria. Oh, invasive, right. enormous swamp rodents. And the state will uh, pay you, I think, $15 a tail you bring them, no limit. Hell. Hell yeah! Oh, they're an Neat. incredibly invasive species that's actually destroying the entire landscape and uh, swampland areas. And oh, the local government is saying, "We don't care how many of them you take out. Bring us a tail. You get fifteen bucks per tail." I'm pretty yeah. sure that uh, there are deer, there are invasive deer, like up north, that they do that for. That, yeah, yeah. I, 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 think so. they, I think they also like the police department that's around there. Also, just have like a vehicle that has like a gun mounted on it and they just drive that around to shoot the neutral rats. Yes, anti-rat technical. 
Uh-huh. And they do that for wild boars in some states as well, and just a mounted fifty okay, cow that like, they drive around. Boars at really do need it because wild boars are yeah. incredibly tough and also like rip. Oh, like the guy oh. who was like thirty to fifty boars, uh, honestly, kind of had a point. That is true. Fair. If thirty oh, to fifty boars came into my backyard while my children were playing, uh, I think I the only way to stop them would be excessive force. Yeah, there is no other. There is no other response than excessive force. Well, the only issue is that if a assault rifle actually would not be a good weapon against a board because yeah, I, it's like, just going to take Yeah, it's just going to take the shots and keep on trucking. You need like mm-hmm. uh, you you need a hunting rifle that's like yeah, chambered in higher caliber to put a dent in the boar. Uh, you. The, the weapon to what kill a boar is a spear with crossbars, because if you don't have the crossbars, it will it keep impaling itself on the spear in order to get yeah. in order to get to you and gore you to death. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's a reason right. a military yeah, force most... or incendiaries. So um, there's a reason why the most popular boar hunting tactic is just put trap down, put bait in trap, leave. Come back later to see if boars in trap. If boars in trap, shoot until dead. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Rinse and repeat until you're out of ammo. The thing about invasive species is that usually they they either breed really quickly or are really hard to kill, or both. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's boars for you. Yeah. Also, I don't think you need a hunting license to hunt boars. No, just because you just need a. You just need to, like, basically just tell the local law enforcement, hey, this is what I'm doing with this weaponry, and they'll be like, all right, you got 48 hours. Come back with what you catch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only vaguely related is uh, I know a guy named Chris who told me a story once of one of his friends who got the laws on roadkill changed uh, changed in Maine by winching what? his truck halfway up a mountain to hit a deer with so that it was legally roadkill and he could take it home and eat it. What the fuck? That's <laughs> wild. Sweet mad lad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, really good. They anyway, have the ultimate anyway, bullets. They're uh, four-wheel drive. Yeah, four-wheel drive bullet. Roading of unusual size ass. Do extra small rodents also count as R-U-S's? That's an unusual size. I would say yes. Those are to be feared because they can get you in packs. Uh, Yusuf (laughs) says, do you think you could survive Andre the Giant's legendary fart on set? I I have heard this story before. I do not know enough about it to recall it. But I I think I would be, like, scarred and burned by the experience, but I would survive. I remember the broad stroke story. I can tell it. I'm so happy that this question got asked. Basically, I don't remember like what scene it was supposed to be. That part doesn't matter. During the middle of shooting, because you got to remember, he's a big guy. That means big bowel. Apparently let out like a multi-second long fart on set to the point that it everyone just stopped in their tracks. And I forget who the director, Rob Reiner, like I think I think Rob Reiner himself was like, "Dude, are you okay?" And he was like, "I am now, boss." Okay, that story. That, that story is not ex- okay. It's ex- it's not exactly uh, like substantiated, but there is one from Carrie Elwes that is very similar, including the line, uh, "No, boss, I'm okay." 
now. Working with Andre the Giant must have been an absolute charm. Because imagine to do that size. Yeah, Yeah, from the sounds like it wasn't really a smelly fart, it was just a loud one. Yeah. Loud and long. They were wondering how how that could have left that man. Or a human in general. As a a, a a more heartwarming story, apparently uh, Robin Wright. Or, yeah, okay, I remembered her name right. Um, I guess she must just get headaches fairly commonly. So the story went around that like during filming, he would just put his hand on her head, and she said it was like even better than having a water or a uh, a water bottle. Yeah, just, yeah it was like just how large his hand was, just like a, a hot water pack. Yeah, both of them got really close. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. talking up Andre Brusimov in the last episode for good reason. Uh, like, you might like stereotype him as, as like dumb or something. No, uh, quote from media: Brusimov was an average student, though good at mathematics. As finishing school was fourteen, as he did not think higher education was necessary for a farm laborer, he joined the workforce. Contrary to popular legend, he did not drop out of school as compulsory ex- education in France at the time ended at fourteen. He spent, a, he spent a few years working on his father's farm, and he got an apprenticeship in woodworking and worked in a factory that manufactured engines. That is cool. He, he was just Dude. a normal guy before he uh, moved to Paris when he turned when he was 18 and got taught professional wrestling by a local promoter. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. fair. He was a wholesome and decently educated man. And also incredibly friendly. My mother met him at one point, and she said that he was... Probably the nicest man she has ever met. Aww. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. yeah. When we found out about his passing, my mother actually cried. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, Andre's gone. I'm like, oh, mama. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why she wanted me to watch Princess Bride. Yeah, I think yeah. we should continue to the next question. Uh, Deep Sea yeah. asks, who would you have to write a new and different take on the Princess Bride? Like something similar in plot beats, but different aesthetic and dialogue. I don't really know that much about directors. All I know um, is that Ryan Johnson ha- has gotten talked up for being good recently. Yeah. Um, I, probably I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but the guy who directed um, JoJo's Rabbits and, and the latest four, four movies. Oh, um, crap. He's also Think- supposedly slated to do his own Star Wars trilogy. Oh, but okay, he's yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I think he has, like, can do the sincere comedy. Yeah. And seriousness like- that the Princess Bride would require. And uh, to bring back another thing from the last episode, get the guy who played the kid and have it be, like, him reading the story to his kid. I know, right? Grandkid. I think we brought that up in the uh, in our lost episode. Yeah, as I said, bring yeah. something else oh, back I, from the lost episode. Oh, I did not. That part of the uh, that part cut out for me on the audio. <laughs> I feel like I always think he's retired, but he might be still active. But uh, Mel Brooks could probably do a good job with it. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mel Brooks is a great director. Yeah. Crazy dude. Um, good director. If we catch him between his oh, deep shit. sea That's submarine divings, JJ Abrams, not JJ Abrams, oh, the guy Gabe? who does Avatar, James Cameron. James? When yes, you James said Cameron. deep sea submarine divings, I was thinking of Gabe Newell. There's multiple. 
No, he's the video game guy who does deep sea. Uh, no, DSV limiting factor is uh, the one of the few deep sea deep sea submarines that could actually get down that far, and uh, it was built by Triton Submarines LLC and is owned by uh, a Inkfish, the Ocean Exploration Resource Organization, uh, belonging to Gabe Newell. Mm-hmm. Big, Gabe Newell owns a submarine. That's some money. Yeah. And James Cameron, I, he does do submarine stuff. That's why he did that one documentary about him going in the... Uh, gosh, I know the, the name Titanic? of it. The Titanic, not, yeah. Not just the Titanic, the Mariana deepest Stretch. part of the ocean. Yeah, uh, the, the Mariana Stretch. Yes. Yeah, there's the Disney documentary where he takes a submarine down there and films. Of course he does. Ooh, I saw that one. Because Solid apparently movie. he's super big in submarines. He does yeah. directing just to fund his hobby, of, well, his passion of submarining. Honestly, yeah, that makes sense. I believe that. Like, over half of the voyages down to the Titanic have been connected to James Cameron in some way. Mm-hmm. Talking about a hell of a huh. hobby, if you think, if you ask me. But yes, the reason that I was thinking of Gabe Newell is because he owns a submarine. Mm-hmm. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think in the submarine, the deep sea submarine world, James Cameron and Gabe Newell are the two biggest guys. Interesting. I think we've gotten way off track of the actual question. Do we want to do this tangent or do we just want to do the final question? Because I can read the final question. I'm good with the final question. Deep Sea asks, would a movie where people watch The Princess Bride work? Honestly, I feel like that's a good setup for, like, a reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I think a reboot or a remake either would feature either, like, the, like, so, uh, like, yeah, another family reading the book, the same book, or, like, if you want to remake it and make it different in a new and interesting way, have it be, like, people, like, watching and remaking the movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this question reminds me of a Jack Brack movie where he ends up becoming a living magnet and ends up erasing all the videotapes in a videotape store. I don't think owner, I've ever seen it. Goes, like, the owner's wife goes in and goes like, I want to, rot, I want to rent in Ghostbusters. And due to the fact that all the tapes have been in, like, right scrubbed cream because a magnet basically went past him. Yeah. Oh no, magnet. Jack Black and the crook has to refilm Ghostbusters for just them and their own special effects. So I think for this remake, it's a meta commentary of remakes where it's like two people have to remake The Princess Bride by themselves. Oh, yeah, meta-commentary, like the Beginner's Guide. Yeah. But not the Beginner's Guide I made you read, the other Beginner's Guide, the one by Dave. Yeah, the video game. (laughs) Everyone forgets that, oh my god, I Google Davey Readin, first result, The Stanley Parable 2013 Mm first-person interactive fiction video game. Nice. Second result, The Beginner's Guide Wikia. A third result, The Beginner's Guide, Wikipedia. Fourth result, The Stanley Parable, Wikipedia. 
that that is that is that is David Reed, and he made the Stanley Parable. Wait, oh, he made the Beginner's Guide after he made the Stanley Parable. That's a little yeah. weird, huh? Wait, you didn't know that? No, I thought the I Beginner's Guide it. came first. No, that's like eight years after. And it's been a while since those have been made. Then, yeah, it, a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it is old. like a recent Stanley Parable re- remake that has more endings. Yeah, I think it's a the deluxe or anniversary or something like that. I'm yeah. Not sure. But yeah, Beginning's Guide came after Stanley Parable. Neat. I think even in it, he mentions like when he does the narration, it's like, "Hey, I'm the guy who does Stanley Parable." <laughs> but anyway. That seems to be the last question. Sure. All right. We can go ahead and yeah. move in. Uh, several, like, three and a half hours in. And yeah. I think we can finally be done. Uh, uh, it's time you, for... You want to go for four more minutes to get up to four hours? <laughs> oh, we still have to do plugs. Plugs would actually do that. Plugs would probably yeah. get us to that three hour, uh-huh. four uh, hours. Let's, uh, let's go bottom up here. Uh, uh... Give me a second to look up. You got this. <laughs> I do not have plugs, but I'm the substitute of Nero, so I'm going to give you their plugs. You can find <laughs> them on Twitter at DragonSmooches, on Co-host at DragonSnugglers, on Tumblr at Cyclones, but with a 5 at the end instead of an S. Um, you can listen to their pod- other podcasts, Prime Cuts Pod, a Transformers Recap podcast, um, Radio Free Highland, which was a, a recap of the plot of, of Final Fantasy XIV, but it has so, since changed to be more of just talking about certain subjects about the community and the game itself. Fair. Um, you can also listen to the other new podcast, um, Talk Cycles. Neat. Um, yeah. You can listen to me, Ashley, and Steven, and Kat, eventually, <laughs> here on in the, po- the Interstitial Actual Prey podcast, Resident Beats. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Steven and I, or Roy, will be doing a, another podcast of eventually... Yeah, now that the strike is over, we can work on figuring out when we want to start. Yeah. We're watching, um, we're going to scary movies. Oh, nice. Movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that one. Y'all have fun. Yeah. Fair. But y'all need pointers. Yeah. I can send y'all links to some good uh, fun facts about scary movies. Also good. Another podcast I'm on is one with Jojo and Ashley, where we go through Homestuck. We yeah. do. Also, Aurora is there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are, uh, uh, due to us uh, losing some episodes and then ac- skipping a week because the Disney movie we had to watch is so incredibly boring, <laughs> uh, we are recording a bunch of episodes back to back to back. And one of those is uh, Stuck Stuck is, uh, I'm not stuck in here with you, you're stuck in here with me, uh, episode two. Where we discuss, as it turns out, all of Act Two, and uh, I apologize to JoJo for 
uh, talking over him and also getting etymology wrong. <laughs> it got rectified in the end. We did good. Yeah, we, we're going to put it in the show notes, and I'm going to say it in the new episode. Yeah. Uh, Steven and Jojo, you you should do plugs. Yeah, I uh, you, am. You go first, Steven. Okay, I'm on Twitter at Marshmallow. It's been like Marshmallow, but it's got my name in it. There's Disney Minus Pod for, for this, and in real time, the weekend that we're recording this, I am going to be getting stuff rejiggered because apparently we have decided to just be a network. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what we're doing. We're deciding that yeah. having like three shows on the same feed is maybe not all that the best. sensible. So mm-hmm. we're splitting them off onto different feeds. Yeah, basically, yeah. All of those will still share the same Twitter uh, for and Blue Sky uh, Resonant. I'm sorry, not Resonant Beats. Resonant Beats has its own, but then everything under the Disney minus umbrella will still use the same Disney minus Twitter and uh, Blue Sky. It's more just for the podcast feed. That way, like, if you are here for the Disney movies, but you don't want to listen to the Kingdom Hearts stuff for whatever reason, you got that and so on and so forth. Anyway, there's also Cloth Wednesdays, where I I post a picture of Cloth every Wednesday. And Jojo, get ready to tell Kat to suck it, because there is dad underscore tastic, where I am officially back to posting as of this week. Hooray, me! I'm very excited. Yeah. Are you doing it on Blue Sky too? Uh, it doesn't count if you're not. Uh, I, I, I only have a Blue Sky for Disney Minus right now, but I guess I haven't you, decided if I'm home. Like you get a code every week. No, they haven't sent me any. I haven't gotten any. Oh. Which, I mean, it's probably fair. I assume it might be based on activity, and I think that one's only had, like, a couple of posts just because of how everything's been. I have Rosy Beats Pop that has three fucking codes. Oh, shit. What the hell? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to DM you one. Yeah. Do with it yeah, as be real. <laughs> well, I still need to set myself up on Blue Sky, so that's the first... The, what, the next code I get is going to be for Steven. But, uh-huh. Well, then I'll give you two. Okay, that's fair. One for you and one for that. Fantastic. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Ashley, have you made a Blue Sky account? No, I can't be bothered. Uh, Jojo, do your plugs and then I can explain why I can't be bothered. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Faden Packard. Uh, don't ask me why that's the name. It's just personal reasons. Um yeah. I guess if anyone plays video games, you can find me on Warframe under Sleepy DM. I'm on like every night, so what's up? And you can find me on uh, Stuck Stuck with Ash, Veer, and uh, oh, Aurora. Aurora? Is it? Aurora, thank you. Where they drag us kicking and screaming through the inane world of Homestuck. It's only going to get better from here until we hit Cascade, and then it's all downhill from Cascade. Yes, I'm telling you my homesick opinions now. Deal with it. I appreciate that greatly. Uh, anyway, uh, all of my social medias are the same. They're all awful world kid for reasons that I won't get into right now. Um, you can hit me up on co-host or Tumblr or Twitter, I guess. Twitter is collapsing into a pile of formless sludge, though, so 
in terms of the recommendations that I always do, uh, listen to uh, Cutie Marks and the Things That Bind Us, which is an album by Violet Pony. It is so fucking good. I cannot believe how fucking good it is. Every song on this album is amazing. Uh, special shout out to uh, obviously Antonym, but actual special shout out to Lesbian Ponies with Weapons, I Don't Need to Be Fixed, and Protagonist Syndrome. Uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, read whatever fan fictions you want from the Infinite Loops project. Uh, my recommended reading order is uh, Legend of Zelda, then My Little Pony, then Ruby, then uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. But if I'm being perfectly honest, Ruby is like the most convoluted and also maybe least interesting one of them, except... I, I guess that, the, that there's one arc that's really good, but like you have to slog through a bunch of stuff that doesn't that you should probably aren't going to really care for unless you actually watched Ruby. Uh, so you can just skip that one and go straight to Doki Doki, which is a masterpiece of literature uh, that feature features Sayori, an extended arc with Sayori learning to be a, a Sith Lord from Pinkie Pie. Nice. Huh. Uh, anyway. Those are the two big things I want to recommend. I genuinely am having... Uh, if you like video games, play Archipelago video game randomizer. It's good. I like it. Uh, I think that's it for me. Uh, and I think that might be it for this episode. I, yes, I believe so. So whose turn is it to pick a movie? <laughs> um, no... We we do still have to do the movie that we just picked, which is Don't Look Under the yeah. Bed, 1999. Uh, yeah. Whose turn is it I, after that, by the I way? Granted, I think... Yeah. I think me pick the movie that was after this was, um, was like, Bed... What was it? Um, Bed's bleh. Knockers or something? Um, yeah, the next bed episode, the next episode after the original recording was Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next episode after Bed Knobs is, I believe, the one we haven't recorded yet. Yeah. I, I don't think we've done a, a full episode uh, between this and Bed Knobs. Oh, no, there was Star Wars. Oh, of yeah. course, yeah, there was Star Wars. Okay, yeah, it goes. Yeah, because it was. Because Bed Knobs and Broomsticks was random. choice. Star Wars yeah. was Steven's choice. And then I picked Don't Look Under the Bed because it was Halloween and. You know, I wanted to try and to get because you'd my never seen it to... before. Hmm? And because you'd never seen it before and didn't know anything about it? It was actually one of the childhood movies that I've watched. Huh. I just... It, it's just that Disney Disney Channel just did not play it much, so I didn't remember it as, as well as, say, Halloween Town. So I decided, hmm, let's pick the less known one. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Understandable. Then, told me what her pick is if she ends up in case she ends up not being in the episode plus we had planned on recording that while she was still out of town. So Yeah, yeah we can we can probably as long as we know what it is, we can probably save it for when we actually record Don't Look Under the Bed. Yeah. 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 Stay tuned, audience. Okay, we all know how we have to end the episode, and if anyone uh, ruins the end of the episode that we're about to do by saying something stupid that we have to leave in. I will come to your house and I will dump a bucket of water on your head. I did almost go to the traditional fuck Disney because I was 
used to it, yeah. but no, I'm, I'm talking about. Oh. Have fun storming the castle. Have stor- Have fun storming the castle. Have fun Bo- storming the castle. Bo- Bo- Do you think it'll work? Castle. It'll take a miracle. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.